ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This is where the big boys play. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, your pop culture home. Well, hello, everyone. You're listening to Where the Big Boys Play. Uh, I'm here with Chad. How are you, Chad? Doing great, Parv. How are you doing today? Pretty good. You know, for a man with a cold, you sound uh, remarkably uh, the same as normal. <laughs> kind of gotten my second wind, I must say. Uh, but I do have my hand hovering over the mute button. So uh, <laughs> Right. There's, yeah. So you, you, you've you've uh, hulked up and made a big comeback here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, any uh, just before we get into the second half of our '80s TV special here, any uh, any news? It's been a couple of weeks. Any any wrestling related uh, stuff you've been up to recently? Uh, not not a ton. Uh, I did a live review Heroes of Wrestling last night. Parv, have you ever watched that pay per view? No, I haven't, no. Any, uh, any good? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Are you familiar with the whole backstory for that? The Heroes of Wrestling? Uh, yeah. Uh, no. It, okay, it was in late 1999, <laughs> and it's in a casino. Uh, tip, it's typically up there with, like, Great American Bash 1991 when people talk about the worst pay-per-views of all time. Uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. Infamous for Jake the Snake, he's completely drunk or cracked out, and he uh, first he gives this terrible, uh, you know, promo backstage that you can't even understand what he's saying. Then he goes to the ring, he's uh, facing the Anvil Night Art, and he uh, basically uh, gets out. At one point, he's he's stumbling all over the place. He gets out the snake, puts it in between his legs like a penis. Uh, and then parades around with the snake, makes out with the snake. It, it, it's probably the worst match I've ever seen. Like, like I got, I, yeah, yeah. You need to, I, like, I'd seen it before, but last night when, uh, when I was watching it, that it, it's even worse than I imagined. <laughs> and what was Jim Hyde Nightart doing through all of this? Oh, he was getting pissed. You could tell because of, of uh, uh, originally on this show it was supposed to be a double main event. With uh, Jake and Nightheart as the first half, and then King Kong Bundy and about an 800 pound Yokozuna as the uh, main event. And because Jake was so out of it, what they ended up doing is uh, booking a tag match on the fly. So, uh, oh, God. Bundy and Yoko run out. But I mean, Jake is, uh, they're like holding Jake down, and he it, it's a mess. It's an absolute train wreck. So you, you've got a completely dr- drunk Jake and a morbidly obese Yokozuna, you know, just before, because yeah. he was close to being dead there, right? Just through being... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's bad when, uh, I mean, Nightheart was clearly your workhorse of the tag. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's got, I mean, that, that show also has a, a Nikolai Volkov and Iron Sheik versus bushwhackers tag oh jesus which is uh i mean it's brutal there's like the best match is uh tully blanchard versus stan lane and it's it's probably like maybe two and a 
quarter, two and a half stars. Every everything else is pretty bad. Well, you know, Iron Sheik uh, famously he won that gimmick battle royal, didn't he? Because he couldn't take the bump from the from the ring. Yeah. and that was before that. Because that was before nineteen ninety nine. So, God no, knows no, what that was uh, that was at uh, seventeen. So that was after this. Oh, yeah, exactly he was not. Way. Yeah, he was not mobile at all here either, though. So. Yeah, well, I uh, what did I do? I, I went to um, there was that chap uh, Liam on the boards. Um, I think right. he's reasonably new, and he uh, he was he kind of got in touch and said there was this show happening at York Hall in London, very nice venue, um, and there was a show there. I think they're called Pro Revolution Wrestling, something like that. Um, but uh, Jushin Liger was uh, in the main event. Um, so I went along. I just went and happened to see uh, another indie show, and um, yeah, there was a lot of um, quite elaborate moves. <laughs> um, yeah, I, the main thing I noticed at that, um, it was nice to meet Liam. I had a I had a burger with him, and he, he listens to the show. So hello, uh, Liam, if you're listening. Uh, but the main the main thing I noticed is that people just don't do elbow drops and stomps and things in uh at, at these indie shows so you'll get a suplex but then they won't follow up with anything is that something you've noticed chad and, uh... oh yeah that uh, i think um that's one of the i guess my biggest gripes with the uh indie scene today is you lose a lot of kind of transitional moves mm. and then uh there's just not the body control work that was one thing that was really striking to me at the uh, ring of honor show on wrestlemania weekend is there was not one match out of a nine match card that had you know a uh, body control story throughout the match you would get kind of glimpses and maybe a minute or two of work on a leg or an arm or a back or something, but then it'd be uh, right blown off. So you don't really get a narrative of a full uh, yeah. body control, which to me sounds like something pretty elementary and uh, can be some simple stuff that works effectively. I mean, it, it, for me, it's not even just narrative. It's like you give a guy a suplex, okay, and then it, typically what they do, I, I was watching them, um, in between each move, they'd start like drawing. Maybe they'd draw the crowd if they were heel, or maybe they'd draw the crowd if they if they're a face. But um, they usually allow the other guy to get back up to their knees, you know, in that kind of prone position. It's a very modern thing. They they do it on WE TV as well. Um, and then from there, maybe they'll kick them in the face or get them back up to do another suplex variation or something. But they'll they'll never just do a do an elbow drop or a knee drop or a stomp or any move where the guy is prone on the mat. Um, it d- d- doesn't seem to exist. It's just it's just not in the uh, it's not in the style at all. Which uh, it's su- such a basic move. I um I couldn't ha- once I'd noticed it I couldn't unnotice it and I I felt like uh, it would kind of ruin my night a little bit. <laughs> but um it was good to see Jushin Liger. He was uh he was against uh, this guy called. Uh, Devitt, do you know do you know him, Chad? Prince Devitt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Prince Devitt's a big, big, uh, popular guy right now for uh, New Japan. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's. I, I mean, he's kind of the equivalent of a Liger twenty years ago. Uh, won their Best of the Super Juniors 
Um, he, he's I, he he can have a good match. He's very athletic, and then, and if he I think if he gets grounded, he can put on a good match. But uh, he can also be pretty spotty. You know, he he was good. To be fair, of all the people I saw, you know, he was far from the spottiest, and he did he did a really good, um, really nasty looking move where he jumps from the top of the rope, um, and then stomps. Have you seen that move? It's like a double foot yeah, stomp. Yeah, now that's one of his kind of uh, signature moves. Now that, now that I, I don't really understand how that doesn't didn't kill Liger because he was he was literally <laughs> laying on the mat and. <laughs> I mean, it looked pretty nasty to me. Um, yeah. And uh, and to be fair, Liger put him over clean, right in the middle of the ring, which um, was a little bit of a surprise to me. But there we are. So uh, now, was uh, that known Dar? Was he on the show? No, Pat, no, he I was. Don't know, I don't see. He he was uh, he was injured, Chad. He he was scheduled oh. to be on the card, but he was injured and uh, ended up getting replaced. But I mean, the, uh, Chad, there, there was some stuff happening at that. I mean, if you had been sitting there, you would have had your head in your hands. Um, there was this team called the uh, what were they called the Swords, the, the Sword Stars, or the Sword Brothers, or something. Swords of Essex. Oh, gee. Uh, <laughs> basically, these two guys. One of them couldn't have been like that. One of them basically made Spike Dudley look like a big guy. You know, he was tiny. Um, and some of the shit that they they were doing was so like. It was so complicated that they didn't even they weren't even giving themselves a chance to to pull it off. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, it was just too. There was one moment where he, um, where one of them got a uh, like a double hurricane runner. So if you can imagine the spot where the uh, two heels are going at him, and he he basically managed to get both of them, uh, both of them in hurricane runner. Can you imagine that? Yeah, at the, at I can. The, uh, and then that that got like a this is awesome chant from that crowd, and I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> Seriously, this is this is not awesome. So um, <laughs> that was my uh. So yeah, it was a lot more indie-ish than than the last show I went to, like stereotype. That's what I'd imagine to be stereotypically indie, you know. Yeah. I know when you did the rundown, it looked like it was going to be uh, more. I mean, it's kind of weird because with the uh, at the the most British promotions I do watch just on basic YouTube matches are very unstereotypically indie. But uh, yeah, kind of your what could be an American indie type card that looked like that would be uh, what you saw. The, the one thing I would say is that uh, Mark Haskins, uh, who I did see in Stevenage as well. He did. Uh, yes. He worked a very smart match. He uh, he did a plenty of arm work uh, in that match. He, he was in the opener, and uh, yeah. he he looks like a guy who just like he literally wouldn't be out of place in TNA or modern WWE or something. To me, like to my eyes, he he doesn't. He he looks like a smart worker to me. So yeah, um, he's uh, he's one of the ones I have been, watched a decent amount of, and I like him a good bit. Yeah. Uh, He's yeah, he's good. All right, well, well let's uh, let's move on then. This is becoming a regular little thing where we talk a little bit of modern stuff at the start, begrudgingly, I must add. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we're going we're going back to 1988 now um, for the first of our 13 matches that we're going to look at here in part two of our 80s TV roundup. And uh, it's a little bit of a this is going to be the last time that we really discuss. 80s matches, Chad. Are you, are you gonna be? Are you gonna miss it? 
Or are you looking forward to the 90s? <laughs> um, I mean, I've watched a lot of the early 90s stuff fairly recently, but uh, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of a glass half full situation. I'm excited to move on, but it'll be sad to see uh, as some of our favorites from the 80s get phased out. I mean, like in this show, this will be the last time uh, we talk about Ronnie Garvin or anything like that. So that'll be kind of disappointing. Yeah. We actually don't have any of him here, so no, he's uh, already gone. We won't be able, to, yeah. So <laughs> we'll only talk about him in the award show. So, well, if you, if you remember, Chad, the last time we actually saw chronologically, we saw Ronnie Garvin. He had a big grin on his face with a, with yeah. a suitcase full of cash, <laughs> sack of money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he we, he never really actually worked heel after that. That's the last, like literally, that was the last. That's that was his last time, right? He didn't. He didn't actually um, do any dates uh, as a heel. Anyway, let's go to the Omni here. Sting versus Ric Flair. This is the second of uh, January, nineteen eighty-eight, and it's uh, NWA Pro with uh, our favourite David Crockett on commentary. Um, <laughs> now, d- d- as this started, I thought that Sting was a little subdued coming out here. Um, and uh, the other thing I noted was that Tom Miller was still there in 88. So this, this will definitely be the last time we mention or see Tom Miller on a show. Um, so what, what do you make of this one other than the fact that there were about 8 million breaks? Yeah, they, now this, yeah, they did take a lot of uh, commercials through this one. I, I This match was sort of a, I like this match, but in some ways it reaffirmed that I, besides the Clash match, which I liked, and I know you didn't even really like that match that much, I just don't think, think uh, I mean, I think Flair and Sting had good matches most of the time, uh, and, I mean, their match at Starcade was good. I thought their match at the Clash was great. But, I mean, I thought this was a good TV match, but it did have some characteristics of Flair that I find the most annoying uh, with Sting too, where he powers up and uh, no sales stuff. So it did. I mean, in one regard, it's good because Flair looks. Uh, you know, Flair again makes Sting look like a star. But on the other hand, you are talking about your world champion. Uh, you know, who was just crowned the world champion less than a, you know right at a month ago, and he's facing somebody that's relatively new to the promotion, and he has to really kind of. Th- throw the kitchen sink at him and at the very end uh you know has to use a little interference or whatever to kind of save his hide as he escapes from the match so i, I found that kind of disappointing yeah well it may, it may not be a surprise to you uh chad that i'm i wasn't feeling this one at all i just thought it was a hell of a lot of standard stuff um and i you know i've been i've said it a few times that i think that sting is uh, Flair's most kind of cookie cutter opponent, and that he, it, if there was ever a, an opponent who he just works formula against, it's uh, it's Sting. For whatever reason, I, d- I just don't find that the two of them click very well, um, and it's really highlighted when we're watching it back to back with stuff like the Garvin matches here. Um, the only real thing that I enjoyed about this was uh, was JJ D- Dillon posting the extra ref. Did you see that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, Dillon again. Dillon is. Uh has been really good on this uh, 
with all the 80s footage we've watched, he's really somebody that, of the stuff we've seen, he's uh, really been raised in my eyes. I thought he's done a good job as being kind of the one uh, one equal force for the horsemen, no matter yeah. which one's out there. You know, well, he's well, an equalizer. On our next show, chat, we're doing our big awards in a show, and I, I'm sure Best Manager is one of them. He's got one chap who's... Uh, gives Dylan a very close run for his money there. So I'll, I'll be interested to see which way both of us... So that's a big decision to make for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's definitely a two-horse race, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll see. Um, so, for me, with that match, two stars. Uh, I mean, I would go three. I, th- I thought it was a good TV match, but again, I did have a, a good, good many problems with it. I did think Steam still seemed really fresh at this time so i I can definitely see if you're a fan growing up in the area uh especially like in georgia you know seeing somebody like sting for the first few times you really would have gotten a sense of excitement and uh thought he could have been well i mean he was on top for a while but thought he you know, you might be seeing the next Hulk Hogan or something like that in some regards. Yeah. Honestly, Chad, I I, I thought his ovation was a little bit, a little bit subdued. Like, oh, I, I thought he had pretty good. Uh, I thought I thought it like right behind the, because uh, Starcade '87, you know, he was hugely over. Yeah. I mean, he's not as over as he was at Starcade '87 or the first Clash, but I, I didn't think it was disappointing. Okay, well, I mean, he did as he came out. He, he didn't really do anything to jig the crowd up. He just kind of walked out. <laughs> it's been a, been a criticism of mine of uh, Sting of late that I just, I don't know. He doesn't always, you know. So one thing you can say about Hulk Hogan is that he will always, always, always do what he can to get the, a reaction out of the crowd. I, I don't know if that's true of Sting. All right. Uh, um, let's head to a uh, couple of, about two weeks later now, uh, 16th of uh, January 88, or over on Worldwide, Richmond, which uh, seems to be a time that they ran a lot. Yeah. Back, back in that time. Um is that? I mean, is it? It must have been an important time for them, right, Richmond? Yeah, R- Richmond's one of those uh, kind of NWA. You know, as far as you know, when you think about the WWF having towns like maybe Providence or Hartford, uh, Richmond would have been the equivalent of a town like that for the NWA. A very uh, standard stop on their tours. Right, and it's Dick Murdoch against my favorite Nikita Koloff. Um, and we've got Bob Codlin, Jim Ross, and commentary. Right. Um, so, well, we, we kind of decided to go with this um, because we, we wanted to take a look, a close look at some guys we didn't, we haven't seen a great deal of. Um, I, I suppose we've seen quite a lot of Nikita, but we haven't seen that much of Dick Murdoch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any thoughts? Um, I mean, I, I thought this one was good again but it didn't set my world on fire and uh i don't i don't know if the version you watched had this but i had a a pretty significant look like clipping 
Oh, did that happen in the version you watched? Where I mean, in mine, Murdoch's working on Nikita's arm, and the next thing you know, Nikita's making his comeback. Um, well, I mean, how, how long was yours? Mine was went on a good twenty minutes plus. Okay, yeah. So I definitely had some clipping then. Uh, I, mine was probably about twelve, fourteen minutes. Right. So that that may uh, I probably need to uh, seek out the unedited. That may have skewered my view because I mean I did like what I saw, but it did seem kind of abrupt because uh, we got the comeback from Nikita and then you had the big uh, schmoz finish. But I thought both um, I mean Murdoch did his kind of basic repertoire stuff, but I always like his uh, arm work or body work. I think he always looks very kind of. St- stern and stiff when he works on a body part and i thought nikita did pretty good selling it here too i know you hated nikita but uh <laughs> i didn't i didn't see a ton of goofiness in the way he no. sold it here so well, i enjoyed that th- this is a couple of months before he has the hair and um nikita may be the reverse uh what's that guy from the bible called again samson he may be the reverse samson as soon as nikita gets hair he goes t- totally to ship um but he's still right here and um, I actually thought this was quite a weird match because Murdoch, and well, in, this, in the one that I, in the version of it that I saw, which I, I think wasn't clip, Murdoch basically kicked uh, the crap out of Nikita for about 20 minutes. I mean, he totally dominated him and unloaded it all. He basically went through, as you said, Chad, all of, all of his repertoire, um, mm-hmm. pretty much hit him with all of that offense. And it was good, good 10, 15 minutes of Murdoch being on top, um, and then I just want to check. We've seen that we saw the same match here. Um, it it was a timeout finish. Timeout finish with a heel on top. Right. Yeah. Went to the draw. Uh, I guess it was like a twenty-minute draw. You think? Yeah, about tw- I think a twenty-minute time limit draw. Now, how many okay. times have you seen that where it's the the heel because it. Nikita was a face here, and, and Murdoch was the heel. Right. right? How many times yeah, have you yeah, seen I mean, that? Murdoch right? had Cornet. Um, so, I mean, Koloff was uh, Koloff was the TV champ at this time, and this was a match for the belt. How many times have you seen it where there's a face champion who's taken to the wire, dominated with the entire match, and then basically skanks out with a timeout finish? I thought it was really strange. Yeah, that, right. Yeah, that is something that I didn't... Um, Really, I guess, make a like a vital note of it. But now that you mention it, that is a very uh, unfamiliar narrative that you see in wrestling. I mean, usually it's the one of those things where if there was only a minute more, the baby face would have won or something like that. That's what they want you to think. So, yeah, strange. Um, but it was it was cool to see uh, to see Murdoch on top for so long. Um, my only real criticism here is that I think Murdoch's selling style, and this will be controversial, <laughs> I think Murdoch's selling style is a little, maybe a little bit dated by 88. Uh, I'm not sure why, but there's something about the way that he... I don't know, it seems a bit cartoony. I, I mean, I guess it's not a million miles away from the sort of way that Hardy Race sells. But, um, I don't know, it just seems a, a little bit out of place uh, in the context of 1988. Um... I, I don't suppose you agree with that, Chad. No, <laughs> I, I, I mean it, I think it's I think it's uh, different, but I don't see that as a bad thing. 
I, th- I think his selling style is a little unfamiliar uh, just in the tones that he has based on both his facial expression and how he kind of takes his bumps. But uh, I, I enjoy it as the contrast to most of the other selling you're seeing. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess I wasn't like, I mean, D- Terry Funk is not a million miles away. You know, it's the yeah. same, same kind of uh, genre of selling, I guess. A L- uh, little more restrained than, than funk, but uh, in the same vein. Right. Uh, well, I, I went about three stars with that one. Okay. I mean, that's that's where I was at on the clip version, but I do need to see the uh, full. It yeah. may be raised a little bit. I, I may be pushed, like, three. I don't really go for, like, three and a quarter, you know. It's a point of giving a quarter of a star. But it's, <laughs> it's somewhere between three and three and a half, you know. So. Okay. Um, so we, we stay in Richmond, um, a few days later, 23rd of January now, this is World Championship Wrestling, um, and this for the Western States Heritage title, the prestige, you can feel it. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. Bar- it's Barry Windham, who's our Western States Heritage Champion, um, against, uh, an old favourite of ours, Tully, uh, Blanchard. Now, now, before we get into this, um, I did go back and have a look to see what the hell was the deal with this Western Heritage State title. And um, basically, this was around the time that they um, were taking over UWF, okay? And they wanted to have a title that they could defend as their kind of main event title on the old Mid-South circuit, basically. Um, and that is what the title was created for. It seems really weird because they also had the UWF title and they, and they discontinued it. So why didn't they just resurrect that? They had a lot of titles. Yeah. This, this, this was about it's, the fifth title they had at this point, I think. Yeah. I mean, well, maybe even more than that. You had, so you had this one, you had the television, US, the world, uh, tag. World, so yeah, there's there's a lot of titles. Going U.S. Around. Tag. Oh God, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Too many titles. Yeah, and and just before this, you had the national title and the uh, right, and also the Mid Atlantic title. Where they they uh, they finished these by this point. So. Finally. So. Uh, all right. Um. So this um, well, this was a pretty good one, I thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the first two matches to me kind of felt like warm-ups where they were not bad, but nothing really exceptional. I thought this was one of the best uh, best matches that we will see on both of these shows. In fact, I thought um, Tully, you know, uh, in the last show we were a little disappointed that he basically got his ass kicked by everybody, uh, including Kernertle, and didn't really get a chance to shine on top. And here I thought he did that a lot. Uh, you know, he, he definitely, there was some give and take, but when Tully was on top, like right in the, uh, early going, there were some great punches and, and, uh, some bumping and then Tully stunted, uh, Wyndham's momentum with a punch right to the nose. It was like a extremely nasty punch and he immediately followed up with a, uh, chin lock cross face right on the nose that, uh. You know, seemed like a, a it's a basic hold, but the way Tolly synced it in looked especially vicious. And then he got a lot of other good offense too. He used a chair. He had a king of the mountain spot. Uh, he, he put on kind of a 
a uh, Indian death lock type move where he was controlling the leg. And then Wendell, I thought, showed a lot of fighting spirit too in this match where he had some uh, nasty punches to the stomach. He head-butted, which seemed a little uh, uncharacteristic for Wyndham. So this was <clears throat> about 28 minutes of, uh, of back-and-forth action, and we actually get kind of an innovative finish where they go to an instant replay. Yeah. Uh, and and, and the, the finish of this I thought was brilliant. This is what I was talking about with J.J., because this was <laughs> something that I can't believe has not been stolen before. I know. So they keep, uh, yeah, they keep, uh, they keep doing time calls as they're counting down to the uh, thirty-minute time limit, and they make a time call. I can't remember if they made a time call for twenty-seven or twenty-eight minutes, but then, uh, but uh, Barry Wyndham hit his hit his flash lariat, and he went to cover Tully, and the referee starts counting, and JJ actually rings the bell. Uh, so Wyndham <laughs> thinks it went to time limit draw, which is an absolutely brilliant. You know, that's a brilliant move on J.J.'s part. Yeah. Uh, but they end up going to an instant replay finish, and we see the official actually watching the finish. And uh, when they go back, uh, we get another cool finish to actually end the match where uh, J.J. hits Barry Wyndham with a shoe, and we really get a – it's a smosh finish, but all hell break loose as they really come out and attack – uh, Luger Luger comes out and they beat up on Luger, so we really have the setup now of Luger and Wyndham versus the Horsemen. So I thought that was effective too. Yeah, um, <laughs> that, that finish, JJ is so sneaky the way he um, he walks away after he's done it. You know, um, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, NWA's production gets uh, crapped on. Uh, you know, viably sometimes, but the camera angle for that, where you can just see like JJ, like quickly get into place, ring the bell, and then like leave the scene of the crime is so well done. It was amazing. It, it was kind of, I, I think they made mention a few times that this was the first ever replay finish that they'd had to a match right. where the ref had watched a replay and then restarted it. So I, I thought that was quite, um, quite a fun mirror mirroring of the sort of stuff that happens in real sports, you know, where you, where you get well, this, you know, a controversy like this. Yeah. And this predated that. That's what I thought was so like innovative about this is, uh, I mean, using instant replay in baseball and tennis and, uh, football and basketball is something that's really just, uh, came on in the last 10 years in uh, American sports. So this was very innovative for the time. Yeah, the, 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 the only thing I will say is that um, there was a lot of replay stuff going on with Hogan and uh, Andre at this point. So they may have had the, they may have had the idea from, from, uh, from WWF, but I, I thought the way they pulled it but, off. But this, was... uh, this predates that, I think, too. Well, this is 88, right? And the, uh, yeah. doesn't, doesn't Andre get the, um, doesn't he get the? Oh no! It happens at the main event. It's in like, uh, February fifth, right? Oh no, you're right. Yeah, you're not, February fifth. Right. So, yeah. I don't know when that show was taped, though. I'd be interested to see when that. Uh, I, but that was live. That's right. They did that one live because they didn't want it to get out that, uh, you know, Hogan lost the belt. So yeah, they actually may have, in some ways, lifted uh, this finish, which would have been interesting to know. Yeah. Well. Um. 
I thought this was like, have you ever seen somebody with such a focused game plan as Tully in this match? Where he, right. he just he targets the leg from start, you know, for the, basically the entire match. He just goes after um, after that. And I, I thought the commentators here did a really good job of getting over the fact that um, taking out Wyndham's leg takes out a lot of his offensive arsenal. And mm-hmm. um, all the way through the match, Wyndham was going for, you know, his standard spots. And then he wasn't able to do them because his leg kept on giving way. I thought that was really good. Um crowd was absolutely nuts for Luger at the end. And um, we got a really mental reaction as all the rest of the horsemen ran in. Um, and they then they teased the term for Wyndham. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was some great foreshadowing there where uh, they were trying to bribe Wyndham <laughs> into kind of going with them. So, well, I thought this was a fantastic match. And the whole segment, I'd give probably four and a half. That's, that's exactly where I'm at. Let me ask you, too, uh, I was just looking through my notes. They did that kind of weird uh, interview where David Crockett interviewed Luger, and you could see <laughs> the actual match going on in the background. Yeah. I uh, actually kind of like that, though. I thought that was an interesting take on doing the kind of pop-up interviews that you would see on Superstars or whatever around this time. Yeah, I, I quite liked it, and... Um... I did notice, unfortunately uh, for us, that um, David seemed to have been moved to uh, to that role. He's no longer on commentary on most of these shows. Uh, it, it seemed to be that once Jim Ross comes in, that's the end for David Crockett as a as a commentator. He was right. he was on Sean Mooney duty basically, or on uh, who else did that? Lord Alfred Hayes WrestleMania two. They try that. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> they try it down. Yes. <laughs> they try uh, doing interviews down the aisle. No, no, that um, that that worked pretty well, and I, and I have to say, not a bad babyface promo from Lugo as well. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was very good. Yeah, um, yeah, all in all, lots of interesting stuff with that match, and I thought it was a really good match. Probably right. Probably my favorite window match that I've seen so far. Um, I don't know about best, but certainly my favorite. Okay. Still in Richmond, I, I think. Most of these matches happen in Richmond. Uh, it's uh, Midnight Express against the Fantastics. 26th of March, 1988. Bob Coddle and uh, Jim Ross. This is, happened on NWA Pro. Um, this was a pretty long match. And it's... Uh, I think this... Was this the debut of the Fantastics? Or certainly very early in their run? Uh, yeah, yeah. If it wasn't the debut, it's very... Uh, right at the onset of them coming in. Um, yeah, this one, uh, this one goes long. This may be our sick. I don't know if this was longer than the Raging and Ravishing versus Rock and Roll Express match, but, uh, certainly one of the longest, uh, matches you've watched, uh, tag matches we've seen. And in the yeah. beginning, I was, I was kind of, I, I'd forgotten how long this match actually went. So I was a little fearful in the beginning because the Fantastics basically dominate the, uh, first 20 minutes. Yeah, there, there are... Uh, there's an extended shine here for sure. Yeah, yeah. You talk about a shine sequence. This may be the longest one we've seen. So I was getting a little weary of that by the end of it. But uh, but then once the Midnight Express took over, I thought they did great work. And one of the things that I want to comment um, and commend the Midnight Express in this match that I thought was one of the best things they did is 
throughout the match, if you definitely look time-wise, the Fantastics had more time on top than the Midnight Express. But I thought the Midnight Express did a really good job when they were on top of uh, making the damage kind of equal. Where right. they would do these vicious maneuvers to where it, it did seem as we went down the uh, stretch that both teams were kind of on an even playing field. Because uh, a lot of the fantastic shine stuff was more kind of cutesy, you know, miscommunication, heels running into each other, them regrouping with Cornette, that type of stuff to pop the crowd. Uh, the Venite Express, to me, were like absolutely vicious on top when they... Uh, when they took over the control, um, you, especially Bobby Eaton at one point did a elbow drop, yeah. and uh, it, it looked absolutely vicious and great. And then, um, I mean, the finish of this I thought was great as uh, Rogers took a nasty bump to the outside, and the Fantastics, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the Midnight Express then turned their focus to Fulton, but Rogers recovers, comes back in, and uh, drags Fulton away from the rocket launcher right as they're about to hit it, and then the Fantastics kind of switch it around and hit a rocket launcher of their own to get the upset victory and to kind of kickstart this feud that would continue throughout the next uh, four or five months here. So I thought this was a great tag match in the end. Yeah, I mean, it was presented as a big upset, and obviously it was. And I, I think they were the uh, Midnight's were the U.S. tag champs at this point. But for some, for whatever reason, the belts aren't on the line here. This is something to do with the Crockett Cup, um, this match. Because they kept on mentioning how the Midnights are only number four seeds. And the Fantastics are like number seven or eight seeds or something. Um, and, uh, yeah, was it technically a Crockett Cup match? I I'm not sure. Because, you know, no, they... This was... Yeah, this was not a Crockett Cup match, but they were, uh, they were definitely... Uh you know, promoting it, but this actually would have happened, you know, right before they did their, um, their clash one match. Right. So this was kind of a couple of days right before the clash one match. Um, yeah, I mean, we had, uh, we've been talking about a little bit about tag structures, uh, recently on the, on the boards there. And we, we saw uh, essentially extended shine and double heat here, Chad, uh, where you had a, you had a, Face in peril sec section from Rogers, um, and then the hot tag to Fulton transitions to, into a second face in peril sequence um, for Fulton uh, as uh, Fulton take, uh, took over. Um, and uh, yeah, I really thought this match picked up after the transition. Um, the shine stuff, um, it was never like dull. But there was quite a lot of showboating by the Fantastics. And um, I've got a note here that they're much cockier characters than the Rock and Rolls, aren't they? Um, you know, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're... More swagger, for sure. More swagger, yeah. Uh, a bit more... I think they're kind of closer to... Um, I don't know. I think the Rockers have got a bit more of that in them as well. Although you've seen okay. more Rockers than mm -hmm. I have recently. Yeah, I would, I would say there's more in the Rockers vein. Yeah, in the Midnight uh, Express. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, the Rock and Roll Express. So, um, I actually thought. I mean, this has been another thing that we may, might want to talk about um, in, in a second. But I actually thought that Fulton outshined Rogers in this match, um, given that just because his face and peril sequence was more compelling than the Rogers one. Did you, Did you think that? Did you, Did you find yourself? 
I just thought, I mean, maybe it was that just that the Midnights were doing cooler stuff to Fulton, but I, I found myself more into the match um, when Fulton was the one getting his head kicked in. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I thought Fulton's heat segment was better here, but uh, I, I did think Rogers was very good in this match. I think they were kind of both, uh, and, I, and I'll say this, I thought Lane, too, was really good in this match. Yeah, You're getting... He- uh, yeah, one thing in the PWO boards it seems like is there's some people that are a, a little bit down on uh, Lane. It seems like, and I yeah, I've really liked a lot of the Lane I've seen lately. Yeah, well, he's always criticised for having like weak kicks and things, but he did an awesome kick in this match to the back of Fulton's head. Did you see that? He basically took his yeah. His, that looked like really that looked like you could give somebody concussion for a week. That kick. Yeah, I think I think he can be a guy where he, when he's off, he can be you know pretty off. But when he's on, he's uh, right there with Bobby Eaton as one of my, uh, you know, one of my. They're pretty much equal on that team. They did a couple of weird things in this match um, to Fulton. That at one point they did that swinging throw. It looked like they were going to throw him clean out of the ring, and they just kind of. Did you see that? Where the, where, where <laughs> yeah, they actually. <laughs> Yeah, then you had the commenters actually kind of bringing up the point with that. I think it was Coddle that said he thought he was going to swing them right out to the floor, so that sort of didn't help him out. And then, uh, and then after that, they did that, um, they did that move where, um, kind of Fulton was dangling over the second or the or the top rope, and then they do the crossbody over. That's a really inventive, strange move as well. Like some of the double teaming is. Did, did you remember that where? Um, he's kind of lying prone over over one of the ropes, and I think it's um, I think it's Eaton who does the crossbody over over Lane's head and lands on top of the the guy who's on the ropes. Do you remember that spot? Right. Yeah, yeah I think that is uh, Eaton that does that. Um, yeah, I mean the Midnight Express they seem to bust out some new stuff kind of every time we see them. So they definitely one of the most innovative tag teams. Right, well, I'm wondering if I've gone a bit stingy on this. I gave it four stars, but I could be talked up. Cause I, mm, thought it... I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm around there. I would give it a four and a four. Four and a quarter. I do do the uh, quarter star <laughs> rating. I do do quarter star ratings. I'll tell you, uh, I've, I've found that I like the quarter star ratings when I do the yearbooks especially because it can get so, uh, when you're talking about upward of 250 matches that I'm putting on a spreadsheet. Uh, you get a lot of minutiae. But, uh, but yeah, it, I thought this was one of the better tags we've seen, for sure. Hey, Chad, I, you can tell who's the accountant between uh, me and you, can't you? <laughs> Quarter star, bloody hell. <laughs> All right. Um, yes, I no, this was really good. We've seen so many great tag matches. I mean... Um, uh, let me let me put it this way: If this match was a WF match, people would be raving about it. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, people would people talk about um, Heart Foundation versus uh, Brainbusters from uh, uh, SummerSlam '89. I mean, it, this match is better than that, isn't it? Yeah, I think this match is better than that. I and, mean, and, I think uh, for for sure. I mean, just around this period, I know there's a lot of people that kind of champion the Demolition Rockers match and. I watched that a couple months ago, and I thought that was a, a you know a good match, probably three and a half stars if I had to put a star rating on it. But I think this match kind of 
beats that one pretty handily too. Yeah, well, I I just wanted to make the point though that I mean, we've seen so many great tag matches that that match probably isn't in our top five tag matches. But I just want to make the point it's probably better than any other uh, WF tag match of the eighties, right? That I can think of off yeah. the top of my head. Yeah, so. it's it's, it, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, you know, we're, we'll we'll talk about obviously uh, another match between these two teams coming up, which uh, you know I'll just reveal that I liked a pretty good bit too. But it'll be interesting to see if any of those sneak into our kind of match best matches list because mm-hmm. I thought uh, I like all four all four big iterations of the match that we've seen a lot um, and they're all kind of hovering around the same level so I may actually try to watch all four again to rank them out my in my memory the clash one is still I mean that, that's still the best one in my mind but we'll we'll, we'll see <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I, I mean it's been it's a while ago now but I, I just remember being uh, blown away by that one a bit more I think it was that right. clash, yeah. clash three uh, Clash One. Oh, Clash One! Yeah, oh, what, what yeah. great, what a great show Clash One is. Okay, right. now uh, for this next match, it's um, three of the Horsemen, Flair, Arn, and Tully, taking on Luger, Wyndham, and Sting. Uh, and this is the, from the first ever NWA main event on the third of April, 1988. We got Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone on commentary, and this is where I want to stop and ask you, uh, Chad. Where in the hell is Spartanburg? Uh, and where were they? In it, they looked like they were in a gym or something here. Yeah. Horrible yeah, building. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now Spartanburg will be, uh, uh, you know, that's definitely a step down town-wise from uh, from uh, like a Richmond or something like that. So that's, I mean, it's it's a decent-sized town, but uh, kind of a mid-level southern town. But again, a, a pretty importing town for the territory i mean definitely a stop that they'd make uh, frequently yeah i mean why if this was the first ever main event why do they pick this pokey looking building to, to do it in it just didn't look it didn't look very good it looked like the sort of place that you might hold um you know your local kind of high school disco or something yeah, I mean, it was probably like a vfw or something <laughs> More than likely, it looked really hot in there as well. It's like everybody looked like they were really yeah. sweating because of the. Uh... Yeah. Anyway, uh, enough about the aesthetics of the building here, because uh, this was a pretty good uh, six-man tag match. Right. I thought. Um, yeah, I, I've never heard much hype for this match before. Um, coming in, I actually, uh, I may. Uh, in a minute, I'll scan and see. Uh, was this in Loss's initial recommendations to us? I, I think because so. This, okay. Because this seemed like, uh, again, I'd never really recognized this match and thought it might be kind of a one of those sort of, yeah, it was in his. I thought that this might be kind of like a throwaway six-man just to see everybody. And uh, I've watched this match twice, Parv, to make sure that I wasn't crazy on the first view. But I think this... Uh, Absolutely, is one of the best matches we've seen in wow. Crockett in the '80s. Wow. Yeah, the, I I loved every single bit of this, and I would put it, you know, as much as uh, you want to talk about like a Jumbo versus Masawa six man from the '90s as being uh, one of your stereotypical six mans. I would put this up here because I thought the uh, the Horsemen first off as a unit 
looked more like a unit than we'd seen it before. And uh, and then on the baby face, again, we get the teasing of Barry Wyndham, uh, which was immaculate. And you got really heated action here where you had Flair going after. Uh, they, they basically built it up to kind of Flair versus Luger, which I thought was very smart. And then, uh, so so once you get once you get that, that goes crazy. But Flair has good sequences with everybody this match. He has probably one of my uh, favorite, uh, I guess, sequences with him versus Sting. I thought they showed a lot more hatred and emotion in just what we saw at the climax of this match than uh, what we saw in their match earlier on. I mean, this is essentially just like 18 minutes to me of these guys going full tilt. Uh, Sting, I thought, looked very good. I thought everybody was definitely on, and it was cool to see the uh, the horsemen get a relatively uh, clean victory here. Pretty much a clean victory where Tully gets a pin. Well, Chad, I have to say, I mean, when I was writing my notes, I thought I may be getting a bit carried away um, and uh, that, you know, I was actually ready for you to be lower on it than me but it seems like you're like even higher on it than i am which uh, has really surprised me um uh the level of uh, the praise that you've heaped on this i i've written in my notes here how awesome is it to see uh, the horseman um in six-man tag matches how privileged are we to be watching this greatness <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so that that was my feeling about five minutes in um surprisingly luger plays uh, face in peril here for most of the match and is perfectly fine. Right. He's perfectly fine in that role too. Now, if you were to say on paper beforehand, who out of Sting, Wyndham and Luger is going to play face in peril, I, I think Luger would be the last guy that you'd think would uh, do that role. And he, yeah. I mean, he we see we saw him take a DDT and a spine bust from Arn. He took a, a neck breaker from Tully. He took a standing vertical suplex from Flair. Um, and this match, I mean, this whole match was worked at a sprint pace, wasn't it? Really fast paced. Right. And yeah, uh, there was no uh, kind of screwing around. It was 18 minutes of like wall to wall action. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's funny you mentioned all Japan there. It reminded me of the pace of some of those uh, Yatsu Choshu matches. You know, it, it was it was right. It was at that kind of level of intensity. Uh, yeah, I just thought this was tremendous. Um, I gave it four and a quarter. Um, but after hearing you talk about it, I may, I may bump that up to a four and a half, maybe even pushing no, four, four and Wait a minute. Quarters. So you gave it, wait, whoa, whoa. You, you criticized me for giving <laughs> quarter stars and then you give this. I forgot. I forgot. I'll be honest. I forgot. I forgot. Um, I forgot. And <laughs> in my, <laughs> I forgot that I'd given that out and, um, <laughs> Damn, I'm, I'm backpedaling now. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I thought, um, basically, I thought that um, I wanted to give it one notch below the one I'd given four and a half, or one notch above <laughs> the one I'd given four. <laughs> but um, given that I give, to be consistent, I'm going to say four and a half because I don't give out quarters. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, at, I'm at four and a half, too. Um, I mean, it's. it's uh, it's a great match. I thought. I think this is one people really need to seek out because, again, you know, I can. I, you know, as much as the last match, you know, 
I don't want to sound like I'm berating WWF because I've, I mean, honestly, in the past couple of months, I've gotten more into like late '80s, early '90s WWF than when I've been a kid. But I mean, if this match was on superstars with these type of athletes going together, you know, you put like Mr. Perfect or your, you know, your boy Ted DiBiase, you know, something like that, and they would able to work this type of match, it would be absolutely, I think, uh, unheralded. Yeah. and uh, heat a ton of praise heaped upon um, so I I think this one's really good they really protected Sting I, I thought the baby faces I mean the thing that I probably like the most about this match is uh, it felt like we got advancement of the story but it didn't hurt anybody I thought all six guys came out looking better because they protected Sting uh, Luger looked resilient. We still had the uh, Wyndham kind of story art that was building to uh, a match coming up real quick. And uh, and then you had the Horseman side that was all looked like a cohesive unit, which you see a lot on promos, but I just don't think we've seen, you know, maybe besides that uh, first War Games, you don't really see them as this much of a unit force that much besides beatdowns. No, right. I mean, I, I, I've seen quite a few um, six-man tags when they're taking on like people like Rocky King and stuff, Sam Houston and stuff, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Chad. That uh, this is amazing, and uh, I, I do want to say that I mean, I'm I'm the last person on earth who's going to be down on uh, 80s WF. Uh, as you know, I have a rep of being something of a defender of. Uh, of uh, he's WF right Chad that's my that's my MO right um, exactly <laughs> but um, I, th- I think the point is a lot of the time is that it's exactly what you said it's that when stuff happens in WF it, it acquires a rep that maybe it doesn't deserve like people talk about stuff like uh, Mr. Perfect versus Bret Hart from, from SummerSlam and they talk about it as like one of the greatest matches ever Whereas I'm thinking to myself, Chad, if that had been one of the matches that we were considering, would it be even scraping your top twenty? Like seriously? Uh, I mean, it'd be it'd be towards the bottom. I mean, that's right. a match I'd rank probably between four stars and four and a quarter. And uh, you know, as as we prepare for our show uh, next, I'm going to be listing out all the matches matches that uh i think have a contention and i know there'll be you know at least 20 candidates that i would say oh yeah that's a four-star match of the stuff we've seen i mean just in these past two shows we watched uh, 30 matches and probably 10 of them i drank at four stars yeah what i wanted to say though is that it's not a knock on wf it's just that it happened it just so happens to be the most visible thing so that you know a lot of guys just haven't seen this stuff and if they had seen it they might think of a little bit differently i think i think is the point right. uh, but 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 the other thing is that this is a work rate heavy promotion and wf isn't was a was an entertainment heavy promotion i i've tried to say it, i've tried to say it many times but it's, it's i know you and i disagree on this chad but i think it's it's hard to judge the two things by the same standards because uh if you if you're looking only at ring if you're looking only at in-ring work then the nwa is going to blow the WF away. I mean, I don't think there's any other way to look at it, is there? For this time period. There's certainly NWA blows them away, but I I don't, I mean, to me, I don't, uh, I guess my, my theory from that is there's, there's still both pro wrestling companies. 
Right. So that's why I feel like they can be compared to each other. That's not to say if you say you prefer WWF to the NWA around this period, which I know, uh, you know, a lot of people that I talk to a good bit about wrestling do. I, I don't have a problem with that because you can say I really was into the characters or right. whatnot. Um, but uh, but I, I do think you can't compare them. Right. Okay. So let's uh, let's move on from that awesomeness to. Um, yeah, more awesomeness now, as uh, we get a rematch between uh, Tully and uh, Barry Windham. This right. is also in Spartanburg. Now, can you believe this, uh, Chad? This match here in Spartanburg, um, even though it was a week later in main event, it was the same night. It was from the same taping. Um, so they had this match. It was in the same venue? It was in the same venue and on the same taping. Oh, it looked like a different venue. No, it was it was it was okay. the same it was the same place. Um, and um, I'm I'm pretty sure if you can if you can think if you've ever been to like a live TV taping, Chad, you can imagine in the early half you see Tully get the pin on uh, Wyndham, and that sets up for the rematch, which was probably the main right. event of that night, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I would guess so. Uh, but. Yeah, this one, um, you know, this was kind of presented to us as the lesser of the two, and I do think it's a little bit below their January match, but it's another really, really good match. Um, these two sort of slug it out. Uh, again, you get this. when I think when you watch these first uh, four months, and I'm sure it's even amplified on a week-to-week basis, but you really see what happens with Wendell in the next match. It really comes into focus uh, uh, a lot clearer watching all these matches build to it, whereas on the surface level, and uh, and I want to discuss that a lot in the tag match coming up, but on the surface level, I thought him turning may be kind of stupid and silly and premature, but uh, it really was sort of sort of tease to where it shouldn't have been why it was a shocking moment it was not a uh, oblivious or i guess dumb moment right. from a storyline perspective uh, but this match i think my main takeaway from this match was the delayed bumps they took uh I, I, I thought this match had some of the aspects that i really liked about the Oli and magnal match and also the flair garvin back-to-back matches yeah. Where this felt more like a slugfest, and you had really great delayed selling, where they would take a shot and uh, stagger a little bit, and then take the bump, and I thought that looked uh, very well. And uh, JJ again was very good. He distracted the ref on the pin attempt, and he's always in uh, in good position. He's able to give some kind of cheap shots on the outside. Uh, and then, then you get sort of kind of their classic default uh, horseman finish where Tully uh, gets the pin and looks to hang on to J.J. from the outside. So you thought that was it. But uh, Dusty Rhodes, of all people, comes out and uh, pulls J.J. off and Wyndham's able to roll him up for the triumphant victory. So I thought that was good. You also had sort of the narrative with this match of uh, them running through the gambit of typical... Uh, NWA finishes with interference in kind of a screwy fashion and uh, each one got fooled by uh, the baby faces. You had Dusty, you had Dr. Death coming out when Arn Anderson was out to interfere so I thought that was very clever too. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was, <laughs> this, was a, this was another awesome match uh, 
Chad. Um, very different. I thought what was interesting for, from our point of view is that we saw a very different style of match uh, here. The first match that we saw was much longer. It was much more scientifically worked with, uh, with, with Tully, you know, uh, honing in on the leg. You know, that's as scientific as you can get. Um, whereas whereas right. this was basically a back and forth slugfest, like you said, worked at a much higher pace. I mean, it was essentially a 10, 13 minute sprint, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't very long. It was, it was about a 10 minute match, I think, this one. Um, and this is what, something I wanted to ask you, uh, Chad, which is, I think there's a tendency for uh, us as uh, hardcore fans... And and I guess people do this in general um, to think of a match that goes 25 minutes to half an hour plus as being better than a match that only goes 10 minutes. Right. There's a kind of um, if somebody has gone half an hour, there's a kind of inbuilt assumption that it must be some sort of, uh, you know, it must be a pretty good match type thing. Um, do, do you know what I mean by that? Where the kind of length maybe adds adds a bit of uh, rating on there? Um, I I, th- I think we're sort of in an interesting. Uh, I I think there's a couple things with that. One, we're in an interesting time for that because I do think that was definitely the prevailing opinion in the early 2000s. I mean, when you had like a uh, hero and uh, CM Punk going 93 minutes and all these other, uh, you know, the early 2000s with the indie boom saw a lot of uh, longer matches and you even had more uh, longer matches in WWE. You had a couple Ironman matches in the first five years of the 2000s. So I definitely think that was 100% true then. But I do think we're in an interesting, me and you, as far as where we sort of spend most of our time on wrestling message boards because I, uh, I certainly don't think that's the prevailing case with the PWO crowd right. uh, and the Death Valley Driver crowd, maybe as much compared to everybody else. Uh, I know I've heard Will uh, and Phil Schneider talk extensively about how much they uh, generally now prefer you know, shorter 10 to 12 minute matches instead of your 30, 40 minute classic NWA matches. Dylan's in that camp usually too. So it's kind of an odd, uh, odd situation that we're in. Well, well, I asked you that just because um, I guess the question I'm asking you, uh, Chad, is: Is it possible to rate this match higher than the one? I mean, theoretically, is it possible to to rate this one higher than the one than than the earlier one? Because you you tend towards thinking oh. that the longer, more scientific match was was the better match. But I, I'm asking you the question. I, I think if you, uh, uh, I mean, I, I think both of the matches had really clever finishes. If you, for some reason, uh, I guess, uh, was more connected to this one. And if you thought the action was a little tighter. And, uh, like, I think if you like the brawling aspects more than kind of the focus control aspect of the first match, you could certainly uh, rank this one ahead of it. I wouldn't say that's outrageous by any standpoint. I mean, I prefer the first one, but uh, I think they're both great matches. So I have no yeah. problem if you rank the second one higher. Yeah, I also I also incidentally prefer the first one. I just want, thought it might be interesting to ask. And I mean, you, it, it is possible to get a sub a sub kind of five, a sub 10 minute five star match, I think, or, or something approaching it. Like, um, 
uh, that Mid South set is coming out soon. There's been a lot of talk about it recently. You know the the official WWE one. Mm-hmm. Well, 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 the famous right. the famous DBRC versus uh, Duggar match. You know the multi gimmick. Uh, that's that's no longer than about nine minutes, is it? Yeah, it's it's uh, if it's over ten, it's not very long over ten. Yeah, I so, mean, and, I mean and that, that's and that's a match that is. Pu- yeah. I mean, for me, is pushing five stars. So. Right. I mean, I mean, just in uh, it, just in NWA land, the Fantastics versus uh, Midnight Express match from Clash One. That's not very far over ten minutes. Uh, the tag match, tag title match from Clash One that we both really like. That's you know barely over ten minutes if it is, and even a match like Garvin versus. Uh, Flair from Starcade '87 is only 17 minutes, so you're certainly not talking about a uh, insanely long matchup there. There's also that Ole and Arm versus is it Rock and Rolls that you, match that you really like. That's about 10, 12 minutes, I seem to remember. The one from Starcade '86. Uh, uh, that that one's yeah that one's uh, now that one's a little longer in the cage but yeah that's you know you're still talking about like fourteen sixteen minutes so yeah not not a huge long match <laughs> so full disclosure here uh, on the star racing I, I'm I'm just gonna be honest okay because I'm that type of guy I did write four and a quarter I did write four and there a quarter there we go again. <laughs> so I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to um, for the sake of consistency say four four dead for that because i don't do quarters <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll also go with uh, four stars for that match too excellent okay Good showing yeah and uh, and what one of the one of the purposes of doing this um by the way was that um some like a guy like barry windham um we just hadn't seen the best of him on the on the super cards i really think we are seeing the best of him now i will say that Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, on the super cards, he, I think, realistically, it had two matches that, uh, for me, were four stars. That tag match from Clash One, and then the uh, the uh, the Crockett match with Flair, which I know you didn't even really like, but I, I'd have that certainly over four stars. And then his match, Sting, and the. Clash 3 and Clash 4 matches are hovering right around it, but now we've seen, uh, and those were TV matches, uh, you know, yeah. to be honest. But now with these uh, matches, you know, in the past three we've reviewed, he's been either in a singles match with Tolly or he was an integral part of that six-man, and all three of those I have at four stars or better, so kudos to him. Yeah, and we're heading into another quite Barry-centric match now. With Arn and Tully. Arn and Tully against Wyndham and Luger for the world titles. Um, we're in Jacksonville. And this uh, this was April the 23rd, 88. Uh-huh. Um, so, lots going on here. I guess we should talk about the match and then the post-match. Sure. Um, I mean, I think... This is this one in contrast to a lot of the other stuff we've seen. I think this one is, uh, you know, very common among even uh, non-hardcore NWA fans. This is kind of one of the first matches you'll go to if you're looking for non-clash or uh, pay-per-view shows uh, matches. And uh, I, th- I thought this was very good. And uh, obviously, this builds up to the Wyndham turn, and I thought they did a masterful job of doing that. 
And uh, I mean, Ar- Arn and Tully as a team is is great, and uh, Tully's work here was fantastic. Uh, and I got to commend Luger too. I mean, Luger got busted open, was was very sympathetic when he went out on the outside, and then you had Tully and Arn basically down Wyndham he keeps going for the tag but Luger's not there because he's still on the outside and then J.J. Dillon again and some <laughs> uh, great managerial work keeps yelling that uh, you know basically I told you so that he would not be there waiting on you and uh, this this all results in a very practically pulling Luger up and into the ring tagging himself in giving him a power slam and then the horsemen quickly uh, scatter on top of him and regain the tag titles and the the expression on uh, Arn and Tully's face when Barry gives the power slam is uh, absolutely hilarious because they're kind of crouched in the corner and uh, it, it's 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 a great great reaction by them and I, I thought this was a great great match that uh i mean maybe more storyline driven than necessarily in ring action driven yeah. but for what they were going for i thought that this was uh and then the ring action was very good too so i enjoyed this a lot on this watch well um i i actually thought that it, it suffers a little bit next to the six man um and it's, it's uh, that's for two reasons one that six man match is so good and I'm just talking about the match itself now, rather than the rather than the post-match. Um, we see a lot of the same spots. So Luger again is the face in peril, and then he takes two DDTs and a spinebuster from Arn, um, and then a, a figure four from um, Tully, and then he even does the same reversal of the Tully suplex spot that he did in the last match. So that's even exactly the same transition. Um, and I, I, that's not really the fault of the match, but it's just the fact that I happened to watch it back to back with a six man, um, and it didn't quite have that same kind of manic intensity of that six man. So pulled it down a little bit. Obviously, the work is still great, but um, it was difficult not to make that comparison when I saw it. Um, but then, though, we get the big turn from uh, from Barry Windham to join the Horseman. Um, right, and the, the Midnight Rider comes out. <laughs> um, <laughs> and now, did you see the hilarious scene um, back in the heels locker room where Kevin? We see like Kevin Sullivan and all of the heels are hanging out there with a the horseman, um, and the Midnight Rider goes back there to try to, um, you know, confront uh, Barry Windham and get starts yeah, getting. I did, uh... <laughs> I did unfortunately see that whole uh, <laughs> insanity. <laughs> I, 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 there, there was some uh, pretty good acting in the background from uh, from some of the heels there. Uh, right. Lots of shouty man. Um, but I just love the idea of uh, of like Flair and uh, what and those guys just kind of hanging out in that heel locker room. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Who is the Midnight Rider, by the way? He looks. I mean. Uh, it's difficult to tell. Can't put my finger on it. It's almost as uh, I, I mean, it, it, it's almost that we may have to rank uh, our best disguises <laughs> in our award show because uh, I mean we've got some pretty uh, we got some pretty stiff competition between Midnight Rider, Charlie Brown from Out of Town, Miss Atlanta uh, Lively. There's, there's some, 
you remember? Now that one actually is probably the best. (laughs) I I still don't know who it is. Like of a legitimate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, of course, Jack Victory will, uh, he's got loads of disguises. Right. Right. Yeah. He could could appear. (laughs) It's like a category by himself. I've forgotten, <laughs> I've forgotten the name. Was it the... Uh, what was the name of that one? The, the Terrorist. The Terrorist. Yeah. The terrorist. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Over to Chattanooga, Tennessee now. Worldwide. Well, before well, we go with that, let's talk... I wanted to talk or ask you a little bit about this because, again, I do think this was well done if you watch kind of the progression of of Wyndham turning. Oh right, yeah. But I still don't. I, I still don't know if this was the right move because Wyndham to me seems like such a hot uh, baby face around this time, and you could have had him and Luger, I think, anchoring uh, the next at least year if you until you, if you did want to turn Flair face. So I was kind of wondering whether you thought this was a, a good move to kind of make the Horsemen. Uh, a four-man duo, four-active wrestler duo again, or uh, or whether you decay up Wyndham with the baby as a baby face too. Uh, that's a that's a good uh, question. It's kind of it's it's difficult because um, I guess with if he doesn't turn, you don't get the awesome Wyndham version of the Horseman that we get. Um, right. But I do I do see the. I mean, I guess if you you, you must be thinking uh, at this point that he could have a pretty good run with Luger, which uh, you know, if you're looking at possible guys to feud with Luger, you'd probably fancy Wyndham versus Luger over, I don't know, like Tully versus Luger or something, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I would think uh, Wyndham versus Luger was tailor made, and they really didn't pull the trigger on that until. Uh... Wyndham was out the door, which is kind of, I mean, I guess Luger was married to Flair for pretty much the rest of the year, but uh, Wyndham kind of seemed to be in sort of the journeyman role where he would face, uh, you know, sort of, I guess maybe more like a gatekeeper for Flair, uh, you know, as we'll see with some of his matches with Gilbert. He had that match with Sting at Clash Three, uh, so kind of he was in that position. Uh, well, well, there's there's one little thing that I was confused about uh, with uh, JJ Dillon's plan here, um, and and this is, <laughs> late on in this match. Okay, there's a moment where um, where Luger is kind of out uh, bleeding on the outside, right, and um, Wyndham gives like Arn a kind of face buster to the floor. You know where he just slams his head. Now, what is Wyndham thinking there, and what is Arn thinking there? Like, it, that's still his face going into the mat. There, is it, are the Horsemen just happy to take this punishment for the for the for the good of the ploy here? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I don't think uh, I, I don't think this is this match is kind of different in most of your heel matches where it's not a. Uh, I guess I see this one as more in the vein of the strike for. I'm sorry. I'm watching Tommy Rich versus Dick Murdoch on the screen right now. Uh, <laughs> and, and if you hated Murdoch selling in that Nikita match, you should have seen the way he sold this atomic drop. It is hilarious. But uh, but I, I think it's more like in the WrestleMania Five Strike Force where Wyndham didn't go into that match. You know, uh, going to turn. 
He just, the opportunity was presented and JJ recognized his talent and kept kind of throwing up these, you know, essentially Hail Mary passes, hoping that Wyndham would accept them. And then, and then he finally did because that's why I think I love so much the uh, the look of shock when Wyndham does hit the power slam from Arn and Tully because uh, it's almost like they 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 barely believed in the plan themselves to get Wyndham to turn, but he actually did it. So now they're a cohesive unit again. So so they 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 were in on it, but they they weren't sure. They didn't know it was definitely going to happen. Barry yeah, made I, 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 right. Barry made I up his they, mind during the match, right? Exactly. Barry made up his mind right as uh, he kept going for the tag and Luger was not there. So, Right. Okay. Um, okay. Well, no, th- th- so we had another big talk about JJ Dillon's plans before. Do you remember when uh, Tully turned on Baby Doll? Or when he uh, swapped Baby Doll for JJ? Yeah. We, yeah. we, had, we had a lot of talk about where, how, at what point did Tully, was Tully in on it, you know? Um, Anyway, shall we? Uh, I gave that match three and a half um, for the match itself, but if you include everything, three and three quarters. I, I should mention that I do give three and three quarters and four and three quarters. I just don't give quarters on their own. <laughs> uh, oh my god, far. Yeah, because there has to, like there, an instruction manual. <laughs> there has to be like one notch below, you know, a perfect five. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, so yeah, three and a half, three and three quarters. You well, yeah. I mean, this this match ranking for me falls into that territory that we've talked a little bit before, where I do rank the post match as part of the segment because it was the same uh, principal guys. I don't really include the crap with the Midnight Rider afterwards, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, for from everything from the match itself to when they go back to the locker room putting up the four fingers and arms mugging for the camera, I would give this whole entire segment four and a quarter. I thought it was wow. brilliantly well done. Yeah, probably the match itself like three and three quarters, but uh, I, 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 I really turned the corner because this was something before I saw all these matches in succession. I was really against... Uh, Wyndham turning I thought it was a terrible decision but watching all this and how it's played out I can see why they made that decision to turn Wyndham and I I, I think either direction would have been uh, a wise choice now so I, I can't fault them anymore it's something I really came around on great well I mean I actually prefer Wyndham as a heel anyway so um that's that, that's just a personal. That, that's just my heel fanness coming through, though. I prefer most people as heels, to be honest, because um, I, I just don't like um, I don't like faces. <laughs> maybe maybe that's just a personality thing, but I tend to find heels cooler than faces. Like, oh yeah, sure. Can you can you ever imagine actually liking you know the character of Bobby Fulton or something? <laughs> like, I'm never gonna like that guy. You know, doing his, <laughs> doing his dancing and whatnot. <laughs> anyway, speaking of uh, Fulton, let's uh, let's go to Chattanooga. It's fourteenth uh, of May, eighty eight, midnights against the Fantastics in the rematch. This time for the U.S. belts. Um, and uh, this is a much shorter match again, in in a parallel to the uh, Wyndham uh, Tully stuff. Yeah, I, th- I think this. 
match now this is a match that has a ton of uh different versions of it so uh i mean i do actually think this match is from bell to bell longer than the first one we've seen oh really my my, mine was like 13 minutes oh oh, yeah i think you watched the uh shorter version of this because mine was definitely longer than that Uh, there's like a 25 minute version of it uh mine mine was probably in like the 20 minutes of it uh i, I know I, i'm almost positive i please somebody uh, i'm sure uh loss or somebody can correct us if we're in uh, disarray but i do think this is the one that it, it went like 50 minutes or something and oh, there's right. there's all sorts of versions of it but uh but anyway, just on, I mean, basically, uh, we kind of get a little bit of the uh, same narrative as in the first match. But uh, but um, one thing that I liked was uh, I thought there was a little more viciousness that came across in this one. Oh, yeah. Which kind of uh, played into the feud uh, from their Clash match where they were brawling around the ring and whatever. So, and, and again, Stan Lane on this one, I thought was... Very good in this match. Cornette was, I thought this was the best we've seen Cornette look uh, sneaking around. We did get another double uh, face in peril section. Fulton uh, bladed on this one. So uh, Fulton had some juice. And the finish kind of again breaks down. And um, Rogers. Uh, ends up coming in and missile drop kicking eating right into Fulton. We we never essentially in this match get a, a, what you would call a hot tag. Uh, Fulton is still, you know, beat up and beaten down. So instead of your typical kind of pier six brawl and near fall section, uh, Rogers comes in and missile drop kicks Eaton, who rolls into Fulton. It looked a little awkward, but. Uh, Fulton's able to roll him up, and the Fantastics are your new U.S. Tag Team Champions. And again, the crowd goes absolutely apeshit, and Cornette and Lane are going crazy arguing with the referee. Uh, so that was a nice moment, too. Yeah, well, I, I actually thought Fulton outshined Rogers again here uh, as the as the face in peril. Uh, from, but I will have to qualify that with that. I only saw 13 minutes of this match. Well, what I did see was really good. Um, I, I've essentially got exactly the same notes as you, uh, Chad. That Stan Lane just brought it in this match, um, grabbing Fulton by the hair, throwing him to the uh, mat. That looked really nasty. Um, real kind of vicious uh, with punches and kicks. Um, yeah, I, I went from what I saw. I went three and three quarters. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm around a four, probably four stars for this. I do think I like the uh, March match a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I, th- I thought the shine sequence actually in the first one started better because we kind of had a, uh, and and this one it seemed like the Midnight Express were trying to ground the Fantastics, which I like that one. I like that narrative, but we did get more back and forth, kind of your turn, my turn, where. It would seem like the Midnight Express were going to go on uh, offense and then the Fantastic would sort of stunt their momentum, which I either like uh, more strictly shine sequence or uh, strictly kind of face and peril stuff. So that's just basic uh, 
structure issues that make me prefer the first match. But I did really like the brawling aspects and intensity of the uh, face and peril segments in this one. Yeah, I mean, Fulton really got his ass kicked here, didn't he? <laughs> um, did, did, would you agree, on the whole, that um, the Fantastics are a lot more compelling um, working underneath or basically in the peril sequences than they are in the shine sequences? Um, they don't seem very interesting to me when they're when they're on top. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're definitely. Uh, I don't know. That's 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 kind of tough though because in their Japanese stuff that I've seen, it, while it's not obviously like Southern tag structure shine sequences, it is a lot more like work weight heavy, where uh, you know Fulton's not getting busted open or whatever with Kabashi and Crawford. And uh, I think they do very good in that environment, too. So I'm, I'm kind of divided on that. Uh, certainly in these two matches, I would agree that they were much better once they uh, once the Midnight Express were on top. So th- just before we move on from, uh, from these guys, um, there's been a thread on uh, PWO recently, Chad, which you have not uh, replied to. Um, Bobby Fulton or Robert Gibson, who was better? So I thought I'd ask you live on air. Yeah, I've uh, not replied because I'm conflicted. I do think I like uh, I, I I would go with Fulton, but uh, but and and actually I'm looking at that now. I almost pretty much uh, agree with what uh, Chris Zellner says right in the first post uh, where he prefers Fulton as well because he was better in brawls. Um, right. I I I think that's sort of the deciding factor. Uh, but I, I do think it's a lot to do with the fact that if you rank the uh, Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express, I think you would have Ricky Morton as number one. But yeah. then I do see Fulton and uh, and Rogers as two and three, and then Gibson as four. And certainly the difference between Rogers and Fulton is not near as wide as the difference between Morton and Gibson. Right. So I think Gibson sometimes sticks out like a sore thumb in some matches. Yeah. Where in the Fantastics, if they have sort of a bad showing, it's usually both of them are a little disappointing. Uh, so. And would you agree that uh, Fulton was uh, for the Fantastics the MVP for both those matches that we that we saw in this show? Oh, uh, certainly the second match, first match. Uh, it's close. Um, I think they were very even, but uh, I wouldn't have a problem giving Fulton the MVP. I think that's the other. Th- I think that's the other thing um, with Fulton is that I cannot think of a single uh, rock and rolls match where you'd say that Gibson outworked Morton. Whereas I think it's actually po- it's possible for Fulton to have a better night than Rogers sometimes, but that never ever happens. Gibson never has a better night than uh, Morton that I've ever seen. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely think uh, Gibson has more peaks and, I mean, uh, Fulton has more peaks and valleys than Gibbs. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. All right. I'm fine with that. Heading into 1989, uh, we're back in Atlanta for Barry Windham versus Eddie Gilbert. Uh, and this is uh, January 21st. Big size differential here. 
yeah, this uh, this match felt pretty Memphis-y. Um, and, and Gilbert, of, of all the guys that I think WCW sort of missed the ball on, uh, two of them that, I, that really come to mind is Flying Brian. I think they could have done a lot more with him. And uh, Eddie Gilbert's right there, too, because you have somebody in your stable. I'm not saying that both of those guys absolutely could have main evented a ton of pay-per-views. I think they might have. Uh, I think they had potential, but they certainly should have been integral parts of the promotion for a while and uh, just were not. And I thought this was a, uh, a very good studio TV match. And in contrast to kind of the Sting Flair match, I thought Wyndham was perfect here and given Gilbert enough offense yeah. Um, and, and showing that Gilbert would not back down from the fight, making him sympathetic. But, uh, but Wyndham, to me, sort of always looked like the dominant person, where even when he was reeling in this match, uh, he would do a couple things or cut, cut off uh, Gilbert to, to show that he was, you know, essentially a veteran uh, in this match and certainly the higher prominent uh, wrestler. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good good tv match ends in a pretty probably the worst finish that we see on this show where flair comes out and then just gets in the ring and starts interfering <laughs> you know, I, I, there's no uh i love i love that though. the horsemen is the horsemen is such dicks sometimes like, yeah there's just no need there was no need like windham if he'd let it go windham would have won this match i don't think there was much yeah. uh, but he just he was like oh we've had enough of this now we're gonna just kick yeah. crap out unprovoked of <laughs> yeah that's i mean it was it was completely unprovoked he just kind of got in the ring and started whipping gilbert's ass uh, i mean that did set up the next week but uh not not exactly the most rewarding finish to see on a on a standalone match but i thought this was good i mean i, I I wouldn't say great, and this is not going to be a top twenty contender or nothing. But for a TV match and a, and an angle to get over a, an up and coming guy, this is probably the best work they did with Gilbert. So kudos to that. Yeah, but w- w- one thing I wanted to say uh, about um, this match here, um, and uh, sorry, I got the date wrong. So uh, this actually happened on the last day of nineteen eighty-eight, thirty-first um, of December. Um, is that sometimes you need a face who can make the heels look good, okay? Um, you know, Coco Beware or someone like that. And I, I think Eddie Gilbert is one of those guys, isn't he, who, whose main role is to make the heels look good. Um, and th- th- that is needed when you've got, when a lot of the time, you, you know, Tully Blanchard's job a lot of the time is to make a guy look like Sting, for example, look good, okay? Um, but he's not necessarily going to get much back from Sting from staying the other way. Um, whereas Eddie Gilbert is a very giving baby face. Would you agree with that, Chad? Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely good, uh, as a baby face, kind of pinballing around for a heel. Yeah. And, um, and that's exactly what he did for most of this match. He made Wyndham, Wyndham look really good. So we got to see all of Wyndham's, uh, offense. Um, there was a fantastic gut wrench suplex, uh, very technical, very kind of perfect execution from uh, Wyndham there. Um, P- Wyndham's punches look good. He did a really good looking at inverted atomic drop at one point. An awesome back suplex where he was carrying uh, Gilbert around on his shoulder and walked around the ring before uh, falling back. Um, 
I thought that was really good. He gets a superplex on. Um, so, we, you know, we got to see quite a lot of uh, moves, as it were, from uh, Wyndham. And um, it, a lot of that was Gilbert, you know, making him look like a really world-class wrestler, which is what you need um, sometimes. <laughs> I did laugh at one point when um, Tony Schiavone on commentary, do you remember when Barry Wyndham did that biting thing? When he started biting uh, Gilbert on the head. And uh, Tony's so disappointed to see uh, Wyndham <laughs> doing that. He was like, oh, I haven't seen him do that before. And it, it's, it's like he feels betrayed by it, you know. Um, and I, I actually thought that in the Wyndham's performance, he was showing a lot of attitude here. You know, a bit more of his heel persona coming through. Uh, right. Which was really good. So all in all, three and a half from me. Very solid TV match. Yeah, I would concur with that. Uh, three and a half sounds good. Yeah. Um, and say going from that, really, we have Flair and Wyndham against uh, Ricky Steamboat making his debut. Is this, yeah. is this his first match coming back? And Yeah, uh, this was, it, it, you know, it was, uh, the match was signed as Eddie Gilbert and Mr. X, like in the, uh, in the graphic. So, uh, yeah, he was a mystery partner. Uh, yeah. So where do you think Gilbert, you know, what do you think Gilbert was up to here? He was on the phone trying to get hold of Ricky Steamboat to take on Flair and Wyndham on the studio match. <laughs> I guess Ross is a masked man signed the contract. So <laughs> what was it? that at one point? Was the Midnight Rider unavailable? I don't know. <laughs> what, was, what, what, was, what was Jack Victory doing at this point? I mean, yeah. Uh, well, he hasn't got a bad partner here in uh, Ricky Steamboat. Um, and, uh, Studio crowd, I don't know there's only 200 of them, but they didn't exactly go nuts for Steamboat. They didn't go, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough because uh, I thought this could have been a, a very cool moment and Steamboat will have a extremely cool debut moment in 1991 when he comes back. Probably one of the best uh, re-debuts in history. So this was kind of uh, certainly the lesser of the two where they, they give a decent shouting but you're not seeing the type of uh heat for this match throughout as you would see you know as we saw in like the garvin flair studio match or even portions of the uh gilbert Wyndham match we just watched right well what do, what do we what do we make of this one um i've seen this match a lot probably uh Definitely seen this match more than any of the matches we're reviewing tonight. Probably may have actually seen this match more than any of the TV matches we'd watch, period. And uh, I've always liked it a good bit, and I thought it was still a good match, but this is probably my least favorite viewing of it, actually. Um, I, th- I thought it was fine as a kind of debut of Steamboat and his character and Flair flipping out and talking smack at him and stuff like that, but... Uh, uh, Flair really got his ass kicked by uh, by Steamboat. I, I actually really liked the exchanges that we saw in this between Gilbert and Flair and would have liked to have seen a, a kind of competitive 14 to 16 minute TV match between them in the same vein as uh, Flair matches versus Pillman. But, uh, but uh, you know, of course this has a famous finish where Steamboat comes off the top rope and... Uh, 
Gilbert holds Barry Windham at bay and Steamboat pins Ric Flair, which, you know, we don't see much yep. uh, still at this time clean. So My note has got Flair pinned. Many exclamation yes. marks yet again. We've seen him twi- so, pin, pin twice now. <laughs> right. So that certainly uh, jump-started the feud that would carry him through the first half of uh, 1989. So as, as, a, as a debut for Steamboat and a way to jump-start that feud, it was fine. But I actually thought the in-ring action was uh, worse than I'd remembered. It, w- one of the notes I've got here is that, uh, obviously, Gilbert is a great face in peril, as you'd expect. Um, but I thought the Gilbert Wyndham in, uh, interactions were arguably better than the Flair Steamboat interactions here, um, which is a little bit surprising. I, I mean, I guess they were just starting the starting the feud here, but maybe Steamboat was a bit rusty. I mean, uh, when was the last time he had a match before this? Oh, yeah, it may have been towards. I don't know if he had any uh, short matches between like around WrestleMania four and this in North Carolina, but it'd been a while certainly on TV. I mean, would it be Honky Tonk Man or like something like that? <laughs> yeah, so it it'd been a few months at least on a national stage. That reminded me, by the way, that five minute IC title loss to the Honky Tonk Man is one of the uh, weirdest matches in wrestling history for me. I mean, how can the Honky Tonk Man beat Ricky Steamboat in five minutes? It's <laughs> so stupid. Um, like, couldn't they couldn't they have come up with something better for that? The, never, the, never. the overall plight of Steamboat is a very interesting kind of character study. <laughs> Just his losses, what happened to him. Uh, I mean, it's kind of amazing. Uh, it's very bizarre. So, um, yeah, I thought uh, Flair looked really good against Gilbert here. He gave him a butterfly suplex and a really nice back suplex. Um, but all in all, this uh, this is one match that suffers by comparison with some of the greatness we've seen so far. Uh, and I only gave it three stars. Yeah, me. that's exactly where I'm at. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, again, it sounds like we're down on it. We are compared to everything else. So far that we've talked about, maybe besides uh, Flair Sting, but uh, but I mean that's still a good TV match. A three-star TV match is nothing to sneeze at. And again, this was a pretty good kickstarter, I thought, for the feud. So, you know, one thing I'll say is uh, 1988 isn't really talked about as a marquee year, uh, oftentimes. But God, there was a lot of good matches in 1988, um, wasn't there? I mean, it was everything we've watched tonight. Uh, so far up until this match being 88 wow. yeah a, wow, lot, a, lot, a lot of, of yeah a lot of good uh i mean that's that's what about nine nine matches deep on uh yeah nine matches deep that we watched from uh 1988 of tv just tv stuff so that was that was definitely a good uh good nine match showing there we should probably give a shout out to our buddy brick hithouse at the moment uh who's uh who may have an nwa 1998 set out on there <laughs> so uh there you go james a little little plug for you <laughs> but yeah to track him down because that that you know if you haven't seen any of this stuff most of it's on there and he he actually helped us out with some of the footage too so yeah brick, brick hithouse throughout this whole process of compiling stuff has been a godsend so uh He's, yeah. he's pretty much the, uh, he may be one in my MVP of the night <laughs> when we get to our end of show. <laughs> yeah, and uh, 
if, if you do happen to check out the PWO uh, boards and you, you know, uh, check out Brick Hithouse's Harley Race thread as well for some uh, shits and giggles because that's uh, that's very entertaining. Um, whenever right. I need a moment, yeah, whenever I need a moment at work, uh, that's right where I go to for <laughs> the uh, Bulldog Bob and the uh, Harley Race stuff. <laughs> All right. Um, so Lex Luger against uh, our buddy Dick Murdoch in Gainesville. Um, Gainesville, uh, Chad, uh, you're giving me a geographic education as we move through these, uh, no, have you been there? That's yeah, in your it's on, uh, yeah, it's in the, uh, it's not in the suburbs of Atlanta, but it's not too terribly far from Atlanta. It's, it's a, it's a town in the vein of, of Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, they'll actually have a clash that the clash with, uh, with Steiner versus Flair from early 91, that emanates from Gainesville. Uh, so Gain- Gainesville, again, was a pretty big uh, stopping grounds for the NWA. Yeah, and this was on the NWA's new show, The Power Hour, uh, hosted by Jim Ross and uh, Jim Cornette. And I, I always got the feeling that Corn- Cornette really loved The Power Hour. That was kind of like his little show there. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, little mix up with the dates here this um this aired on the 10th of november 89 but it actually took place on the 30th of october so it about 10 10 11 day delay before it so uh it got taped about 11 days earlier uh which is something we'll see a hell of a lot more of as we move into the 90s right Um, so, uh, as uh, this started, I just uh, have a little note here. How sexy is uh, Lexi here? <laughs> what, what, what a nice-looking uh, nice man. <laughs> um, and uh, I, we can't really say the same about uh, his opponent. So, <laughs> well, he's, uh, well, I guess it's, uh, it's all in the eye of the beholder, right, Chad? Yeah, so. there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, what do you make of uh, second look at Dick Murdoch? Well, uh, this was our last match that kind of stuck in right before the bell. So this was the 30th match we selected. And uh, you you picked it out, Parvin. I thought you made a fabulous choice because uh, I thought this was a really good match and a, a great look at Luger's 1989, which we've really kind of raved over. And he's fault now a variety of opponents and Murdoch's another one to add to that list and he's looked very well done and I thought Murdoch again looked very good in this match with the punches I thought Luger's punches actually in this match may be some of the best uh, punches we've seen from Lex uh, some of those exchanges where Luger's fighting him in the corner and then Murdoch gets up all fired up and then Luger starts jawing with the crowd there was some good heat here and, uh, and then Luger utilized a couple. I know uh, it's been pointed out one of the most distinctive spots of this match is the Boston Crab in the corner with uh, with Lex using his head on the top turnbuckle for some atom momentum. And that was a great little spot that, uh, that Luger utilized to kind of bring some flavor to the match or whatnot. And so I like this match a good bit. I think this was my favorite Murdoch performance and uh, another great performance for Lex in 89. Wow. Well, uh, I hate to say it, Chad, this is the first time we really disagreed tonight. Um, I, 
I don't know if I was just in a bad mood when I watched this, but I seem to be a hell of a lot lower on it than uh, than you are. Um, I've got a. I mean, basically, what happens in this match is that Murdoch starts off working the arm, and then he switches from the arm to the leg. Um, and Luger's very, very consistent selling that leg, even when he's on top. Did you notice that? That was some pretty good mm-hmm. stuff from Luger. Um, but that Boston Crab went on for ages. He had it on for about seven minutes. Oh, I, yeah, you need to watch this again. It's not that bad. Was I just, was I just in a bad mood? or? What? Yeah, I think you were. Cause it's certainly, I, I've, got, I've got it fired up now. All right, it's, it, you're on the clock here, Parr. <laughs> right, okay. Um, there right, was let's a, see here. There was a really odd spot uh, during this match um, where he, um, where uh, Luger pushed uh, Murdoch into the rope and then he did a forearm smash. Do you see that? Yes. Uh, it's a kind of odd, like, really weird um, spot there. I don't think I've seen that before. I'm not sure what I think about it. Because it seemed like... I don't know. I, 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 don't, I didn't know what to make of that. Um, so I thought it was good, but not great. And I thought it was a bit slow. And we got, uh, BS, and we got a BS finish as well. So, yeah, um, the finish wasn't great, certainly, and uh, it's it's official. Par uh, Luger <laughs> has the Boston Crab on for uh, just under a minute. So that's... <laughs> right. So clearly, I was just uh, brooding there and thinking. Yeah, you know. uh, it happens. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, it's it's one of those funny things. That's why we re watch matches sometimes because your mood or being tired or something can affect your rating sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I never try to watch. Uh, a lot of times, I like having wrestling on as I go to bed. But anything that I watch for the podcast, I never try to watch uh, uh, right before I go to bed. I find like usually when I get home from work, uh, while dinner's getting made or something like that, it's kind of my sweet spot to get a match or two in. Yeah, but it can do weird things. Like in my mind, sure. Boston Crab was seven minutes long, and you've just proven <laughs> it's less than a minute. So, so um, but, but, I mean, based with that qualifier, my uh, my rating for this was two and a half. Okay, um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm about. I, I don't think this was quite a great match, but uh, I would go three and three quarters. I thought it oh, was very well, very good. Yeah, quite a disparity there. Um, now I I do have an. I do have a note here that I think that Murdoch's best uh, matches were not in WCW or Crockett. Um, oh, yes, sir. And probably by this point, his best days were behind him anyway. Uh, yeah. Really, I mean, the best Murdoch stuff I've seen is uh, 85 in Mid-South. That run yeah. that he yeah. has there is pretty good. Yeah, I think it's 85 in Mid-South. Uh, it's according to how much you like the uh, North-South connection tags, him and Adonis versus uh, Fujinami and some of those guys over in Japan, which I, I like a good bit. But, uh, but yeah, I think 85 Mid-South's a pretty good bet for uh, Murdoch's peak. So, um, all right, well, we're quite far apart there, but... Um... My two and a half has got bracket bad mood next to it. So, twelfth <laughs> um, match here, and uh, I hope this isn't. A, I hope this isn't because I watched these three matches, these last three back to uh, back, to back when I wasn't in the when I wasn't in the best uh, frame of mind. So I hope it hasn't uh, unduly uh, flavoured my ratings here. Um, this is from Cleveland uh, again on the Power Hour, 
and uh, this is the 1st of September, 89. Um, and there's quite a funny little towel joke as we go into this match, where um, <laughs> Ross uh, Ross is claiming that um, uh, Gary Hart got his towel um, from the Holiday Inn. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, for me, I'll, I'll just tell you, I thought Gary Hart was probably the highlight of this match. Uh, um, his various antics here. Uh, were quite entertaining. What did you make of this? Is, oh, um, did I mention well, it's Sting versus Muta? Did I say that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sting versus Muta, um, and probably their uh, signature TV match. They got more time here than in the Great American Bash, and uh, I think uh, this goes into what we were talking about before, where uh, sometimes less can be more. Because I thought this was a step down from their Great American Bash match. Uh, I, I, th- I thought this match had a, kind of a lot more shtick involved with it, uh, but I didn't really enjoy it that much. And some of the, it, it, it some about the flow in this match didn't really sit well with me. Right. It seemed kind of disjointed, and uh, it, I mean, I, I thought I thought it was okay, but it never got going. And this is a this is a grouping now where. I wasn't completely enamored with their Starcade 89 match. I just recently watched their uh, show from the WCW NW, uh, WCW New Japan Super Show in uh, March of 91 from the Tokyo Dome. I wasn't really enamored in that match. So I think I can pretty definitively say now that my favorite match between these guys was the Great American Bash match. Yeah. Uh, as far as this one, I thought this was okay and... It ends up, I mean, this was kind of predictable, but this ended up with the Sting winning by DQ in a uh, cheap finish where he hits the Stinger Splash, but Hart sort of throws him over the top rope. So kind of a crappy finish to, um, to protect Muta. Do you think that Muta, right, is a guy who's where people's memories of him are better than what he actually was? Um, uh, I don't think... I think Muda is a weird guy to examine because he's a gateway person for a lot of hardcore fans into Japanese wrestling. Yeah. Uh, and he does have some absolutely brilliant matches. And then he also in 1989, if you were, I mean, as a, as a Southern person growing up in Georgia, I know if I'd see Muda appear on my screen in 1989, I'd have probably been enamored with the guy. But to me, he is some. I mean, just to make a comparison, I don't think uh, when I go back and watch Muda matches, I think I consistently enjoy somebody like Hulk Hogan more than Muda, right? Uh, most of the time. So uh, I, I don't. I don't know. I think. I think there's a wide. I think Muda is one of those guys that gets a wide spectrum of opinions. Where there's a lot of people that. Uh, kind of fall where it seems like you fall in line that don't really like the guy and think he was kind of. Uh, you know, it's their judgment's been clouded by his persona, but then I also think you would see some people defending his stuff. So I, I, I just know. feel like I've seen a lot of bad Muta matches. That's that's my like over the years. So, no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've certainly seen plenty. Yeah, I would never, at, at best, I would call Muta a good performer that had some great matches. So that seems. So, uh, kind of like Sting. <laughs> probably, the, probably the highlight uh, of this match for me was Gary Hart checking Nick Patrick was knocked out. 
I really, I really enjoyed that. He, he kind of poked him with a, with a, with his shoe, <laughs> with, right. it, with, it, with his foot to, to see if he was actually knocked out before um, doing a bit of skullduggery. And um, he did like a bit of choking and stuff as well with the towel. So okay. that's probably the, some of the best stuff we've seen from. Gary Hart doesn't have a bad little run here in '89. All in all, I mean, yeah, he, not bad. He's not a, he's not challenging uh, Dylan or um, Cornette, but he's probably third. Uh, yeah, I can certainly see that. Well, he's better than Paul Jones. Uh, right. I mean, Ellering. Possibly, maybe. I know you don't like Ellering, but uh, I thought Ellering was okay. And then I think you even have to include maybe some Baby Doll or stuff like that. Oh, yeah. so. ba- baby Doll's a pretty, uh, pretty kick-ass, isn't she? Um, the, uh, the only real note I've got uh, about this match is that the drop, um, he he dropped Muta on the railings mouth first a couple of times, which was pretty nasty looking. Um, and it was good to see that Sting followed up that with some face-based offense. Then, you know, he he then smashed his face on the mat a couple of times, um, which is a kind of good logical little string of moves there. But yeah, I just solid, if slightly disappointing TV match. Um, yeah. So I'm hovering between two and a half and three. I don't, I don't know where where I'd go with that. I, That's uh, dang, we're we're agreeing too much on this show, Barbara. <laughs> there's, there's, there's only one match we've really disagreed on so far. So. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm two and three quarters is what when I was just taking notes. That's where I had this one. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, obviously I don't have that option. because uh, this is another weird thing. I only go three quarters for three and three quarters and four and three quarters. Uh, yeah. I I don't go for two and three quarters. I think that's too much. Uh, <laughs> I've done stopped listening to any <laughs> rationale from this. <laughs> yeah, maybe I need to overhaul my star ratings. Yeah, this is this is, this is like uh, <laughs> Resident Evil uh, level uh, <laughs> hypothesizing you're doing here. Well, you know, for the AWA set, went with letter ratings, right? Yeah, now letter ratings. I actually, I've saw you've done that, and I've thought about trying that out. Um, and I know you—that's sort of your profession, your profession shining through. But uh, <laughs> I, I thought about that. I think that's kind of an interesting concept. Yeah, because you, you need um, you need like a way. You know, you need to say well, A, A minus, B plus, B minus. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a very easy way to see what is better. You know, which one you think was better. Um, which is all we're really doing with the star ratings, isn't it? It's, it's saying, well, that this isn't quite five or this isn't quite four. I yeah, I mean, I don't think star ratings are the be-all, end-all, but I do think when we're spending upwards of ten minutes describing the match, I think at the end, us kind of throwing out a general star rating is a good way to kind of tangibly put a label on what we thought of the match as a whole. So. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we we're doing this for these matches because we usually have we usually have Meltzer, don't we? And then we can right. agree or disagree Same. with him. Right, right. Okay, so our final match here uh, is well, cr- final match chronologically. Yeah, our, our final yeah. TV match at least right, is uh, right. Ric Flair against the Great Muta, twenty uh, fifth of November, nineteen eighty nine. Jim Ross and Kevin Sullivan on commentary. This is from WCW. Um, and, 
well, I'll, I'll tell you straight away that I just wasn't into it at all. So, um, tell me what you think, Chad. Yeah, this may be one you need to put back in. I mean, I don't think this is uh, in the upper upper echelon of some of the stuff we saw tonight, but I thought this was certainly better in the last match. Uh, and I enjoyed this one a good deal. Flair, around this time, from uh, the end of 1989 to, I guess, maybe April 1990, he had a very good string of TV matches because you have this, you have the Bobby Eaton, uh, the first uh, Brian Pillman, uh, Ricky Morton match, and even the uh, Tom Zink match, which I thought was pretty uh, pretty interesting to watch. I, I, li- I like this match. I thought uh, Muda looked a lot better here than in the match versus Sting. Uh, I thought Muda did some pretty good work on Flair's leg here. And uh, struck, uh, Flair showed a lot of struggle, kind of babyface struggle, and trying to figure out Muda, which I thought was good. And, and then uh, they had an outside exchange, and Flair kind of his aggression sort of seeped through, which I thought was, uh, uh, you know, pretty good. We saw kind of a glimpse in the beginning with the opening mat work of sort of Flair versus Steamboat-esque a little bit with the exchanging of holds. And then by the end, it sort of took a... Flair versus Funk vibe to me with some uh, pretty good brawling finish again. It's <laughs> kind of a reoccurring theme of these last few matches, but we get a, a, a sort of DQ type stuff where Buzz Sawyer runs in. Uh, Muda actually missed him with the red mist, so I don't know what that means from a uh, standpoint whether the red <laughs> mist is worse than the green, but, uh, but Muda had the red tonight, and then uh, it actually a uh, buzz hits a big splash and Muda hits the moon salt and flare uh, on flare and buzz counts to three. So I, I, I thought the finish of this match was pretty frantic actually as a smudge finish and kind of enjoyed that. It didn't really lead to much of anywhere, but, uh, but I, I, I like this match as a good bit. Yeah. Uh, we, we did get one of, uh, one of our questions answered during this match. Um, and that is that, um, they explicitly referred to that Dragon Master guy as Mr. J. Do you remember when we were right. talking about that? Yeah. Right. So Mr. J refers to him. Um, but yeah, I'm I. So I don't know if this is uh, my my mood coming into play or or whether I really just didn't like this match. I thought the ten the first ten to eleven minutes were positively boring. Um, there was a lot of map based stuff for Muta there, and I just didn't like. It just felt like it was eating up time. And then when... So a lot of the stuff that you were talking about basically happens in the last six minutes of the match. Um, and by that point, it, isn't it a case of too little, too late? Um, like, you know... Or, or, or did you enjoy that first ten minutes yeah, or so? Yeah, I, I enjoyed that, but I think that is a, some of the stuff that I generally like more in matches than you do. It was kind of table setting ish, but I did thought the uh, work Muda did on the leg. Uh, well, you had sort of an opening hammerlock, and then Muda kept teasing his karate kick. So I kind of liked that where Flair could out wrestle him and kind of wanted to keep him grounded. But then once uh, Muda started working on the leg, I was actually pretty impressed with how focused and uh, uh, as much struggle as uh, Flair was showing, trying to get out of that. So I, I enjoyed that a good bit. I, I think the back half of the match was better than the first half, but, uh, that I mean, I, I can certainly see how you would be lower on a type of match like this than me because of the opening section. 
So, so it's because of that, I this was probably the lowest lowest rank match that uh, we saw in this particular batch. I gave it two two star. Okay, yeah, I'm way higher than you on that. Um, I'd be about three and a half. Right. Okay. So the clear uh, star and a half difference there. But uh, yeah, I thought this was a pretty. Uh, I, I did. I did not. I thought this was a downer to, to end our. Uh, um, in general, I thought that the '88 stuff was way better than the '89 stuff that we that we saw. Uh, from a TV perspective, yeah. Um, okay. Well, just before we uh, we wrap this up, uh, Chad, we have a bonus match, uh, a little bonus extra, um, and I had to get my old. Uh, Rick Flair and the Four Horsemen DVD out for this. Um, yeah, I had to dust that thing off myself. And uh, yeah, do you know I picked that up for four ninety nine in a in a sale because um, nice. it usually goes for like twenty pounds. I just saw it there and uh, grabbed it. So not bad, five pounds. Um, so it's Rick Flair versus Ricky Morton from the Great American Bash Tour, nineteen eighty six. This wasn't a TV match, which is why it's a bonus here. Um, uh, but one of the great talked-about matches of the 80s. Um, anything to say about this that hasn't been said before, Chad? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, this is the type of match where I don't have a lot of description on it, but that's not to say that I don't think it's absolutely wonderful. Um, like You do get some great payback spots. In the beginning with Ricky uh, rubbing Flair's face on the mat and then the cage. I mean, one thing that we've talked about with some of these cage matches is them not utilizing the cage. I think that's definitely not the case here. They really milk uh, using the cage and the violence uh, to its fullest in this match. We had a lot of cage action here. And uh, it's, it's... (laughs) <laughs> there really is not much to say. It's uh, kind of 25 minutes of back and forth section. Uh, both people, they, they're they blading. They're both a bloody mess. It feels like a war. Uh, Morton, of course, is selling it great. The only thing I will say on this, and I've watched this match before, but it, it, it sort of struck me more here, is I don't really like the finish that much. Right, yeah. Uh, I got exactly the same note, actually. Yeah, so Flair basically uh, is able to kind of crotch Morton on the ropes with like a back. Uh, he puts him in back suplex position and sends Morton down on the ropes and then uh, gets the pinfall, which I thought was uh, pretty anti-comatic from the, the buildup we'd been getting. I certainly didn't see this. We'd seen some creative finishes in this batch of matches and even... I finished like uh, Luger versus Flair at Starcade '88. I thought was a lot better than uh, than this one. So that to me was a little disappointing. I understand Flair had to win, but I think they could have uh, got to that point. And he, either he just does a completely cheap ass finish, or he is able to do a definitive type move where he rams Morton into the cage and then rolls him up. I didn't like the fact that he crotched him on the ropes. I thought that was kind of odd. So yeah, it, uh, that hinders the match a little bit. It is a, it's a definitely a weak uh, anticlimactic finish for such a great match. Um, I would have preferred to see something like the uh, Jimmy Garvin finish, where he um, Morton would have passed out from the figure four, just from the pain or whatever, right. something like that. Yeah. 
Um, but Flair is positively dark in this match, isn't he? He's just yeah. absolutely sadistic um, going after Morton's face. And he, he, does Flair ever come across as, uh, as much as a bully um, as he does in, the, in his uh, long control segment of this match? Um, yeah. Morton's basically a rag doll here, bloody rag doll, mm-hmm. just being thrown from pillar to post. Um, yeah, do, do you have something to say, Chad? No, I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think uh, Flares can be really good in kind of these underdog matches, and uh, I am glad that this type of match exists because, like we said, with the pro match, it was gearing up to be really good. It just sort of fizzled out with the way they ended it. So it is good that we saw a match like this. It's a shame that uh, we don't have something kind of like their – I know they had some hour time limit draws, which I'd really love to see. Uh, kind of how they built around that from around this time. So uh, this yeah. is a great series, and this is definitely the best match between these two in this series. So, yeah, what, what, One of the things I wanted to mention was that um, Morton's comeback is really, really good. Um, right. At one point, he punches Flair in the face about 16 times in the corner, <laughs> um, which is just uh, insane. And then we get a hell of a lot of great payback spots late in the match mm-hmm. where um, he is able to get give Flair the same moves that Flair's did did to him about 10 minutes ago. Um, And Flair really gets his just desserts and he feels like he deserves it as well after being such a, such a dick to him during this match and, and in the, and in the angle beforehand. Um, So just how great is Ricky Morton? It's a, is a question I've got here. Um, Same criticism about the finish. Um, One, before I give a rating, one thing I really love about this match is um, how you can hear all of the, you can hear uh, the ref, you can hear uh, all of the kind of trash talking from Flair during the match. And there's a real intimacy with watching a, a match like this that is shot like a TV match, but it doesn't have the commentary. Um, right. I, really like, yeah. I really like that. Kind of added to the intensity, I think, in a match like this that had so many, uh, so much. I mean, this was a pretty violent match. This was. Definitely a lot of violence confined inside the cage. So, so I've gone four and three quarters with this, uh, with the okay. with the quarter loss, just because I think that finish could be better. Right. I I would go uh, slightly below that at four and a half, but uh, again, that's not me criticizing it. It's, so uh, where where why have uh, why have you taken the whole half there off Chad? I take I, um, I mean it's mainly probably the finish but uh i i, I do want to be I, I try to be very selective in my five star matches um and I, I only want to have a couple of that so maybe even something like flair versus funk uh from uh from the i quit match i'd probably put it four and three quarters and i don't think that finish was exceptional Mm-hmm. But uh, I did, I did think it was better than what we had here, or even something like uh, Garvin versus Flair from Star Arcade. I may have a slight, a uh, slight niche above this one, and that's because of the finish. I, I, I really didn't like the finish here. Right. Okay. No, that's uh, that's good. You've uh, fully explained uh, yourself. Uh, oh, great. Well, um. Yeah, are you glad that we did this? That we went through all this, uh, all this kind of extra stuff at the end of uh, the end of the decade here. Yeah, this was this was a fun uh, 
fun journey, and we kind of got sort of a supplement and um, I guess a preview of what the uh, 80s set will look like uh, whenever it comes to fruition. So we'll be uh, geared up and prepped up when we participate in that. But I thought I thought this added a lot. I mean, I, I think Wyndham probably comes out looking the best. Yeah, from uh from doing this, but uh, but even somebody like the Fantastics, I know it, by the end of the Fantastics run, we were really kind of tiring of them. So if you just look at their super card stuff, they had a, a decent start in '88, but by '89, we were uh pretty much done with them. So this adds two more, you know, very good to great matches for them uh, to this. So I I I think this uh. Kind yeah. of watching these matches sort of helped out with sort of my rankings for what going into the end of decade. And I will I will say that after the last show, I was slightly worried for for Tully, but he's uh, he's after this showing, he's right back up there for me. So yeah, uh, yeah, we certainly saw some good Tully here. Um, yeah, I, did, I, I one thing I was going to as we move into the nineties, Chad. Um, given that we both have the the yearbooks, I thought it might be an idea to do a version of this type of show every um i, I know I'm, I'm telling you right on the recording here but uh it'd be a good idea to do one of these shows yearly do you reckon for uh kind of best of the tv type stuff um yeah yeah i think a yearly roundup of maybe the top uh you know five to ten tv matches is uh would be a would be a good idea <laughs> Yeah, well, given that we have it, you know, given that we we have all the matches, we might as well take advantage. Sure. Um, all, all right, well, great. And uh, so the next time, it's going to be the, our end of the 80s awards before we head into, is it WrestleWar? Uh, it'll be Clash 10 Clash before WrestleWar. Yeah, uh, but yeah, our next show, I'm really looking forward to it. Kind of... I think we're going to end up going kind of Pro Wrestling Illustrated style on the awards, uh, sort of mixed in with the Observer. So we'll have, uh, we'll probably be sending a bunch of PMs the next couple of days filling out the categories. But it'll be about twenty or twenty-five categories. Yeah. Uh, and one thing before we wrap up, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's necessary for us to get into the feedback, but, uh, but I do want to say that on the last, uh, on the last show that we posted the first tv special uh especially on the pro wrestling only board we had a lot of great feedback from that yeah. from a, a variety of people uh our usual suspects and a couple of uh of uh, new people like a uh, jay's usa chiming in so i we really appreciate that i'm constantly uh amazed and appreciative whenever anybody tells me that they watch the show and how they are they listen to the show and how they found the show so it means a lot i know to me and parf we yeah and in fact we should uh we should uh i forgot about feed i we, we should read some uh feedback out here um <laughs> there's quite a lot of feedback from nwa fan on the main page after the last show did you see that chad um, I did see that. That I, I, is something. That's a project I'm gonna have to be going through. <laughs> um, I, I I think I'll read I'll read out some of this just to give a little reaction here because he's um <laughs> he said there's lots of things to clear up from this last show. He said that Crockett didn't buy the Georgia promotion. Um, he just bought the time slot from Vince because Turner didn't like that Vince was uh sending down a tape instead of doing live shows. Um, and of course and of course I mean I I I did know that. 
um, Vince bought the Georgia promotion, didn't he? Um, yeah, I don't know if we uh, if we misspoke mistakenly on that, or I, I, I didn't recall that right offhand. But yeah, I, I did. I did know that you know Crockett and Georgia were sort of separate entities uh, for a while. But they, 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 they. My understanding is that the Georgia territory basically reformed under a slightly different name. With uh, I guess it was Oli, or, or but it, it was like. Uh, it's Championship Wrestler Wrestling from Georgia and Georgia Championship Wrestling, and, and like one of those was the promotion that was uh, had always been there that that got bought up by Vince, and the other one was was the one that ended up uh, merging with uh, Crockett a little bit later, because that that second Georgia territory doesn't stay there for long, and it, it definitely um, it definitely does get eaten up by Crockett in some way because their titles, that national title and the national tag titles. That Ole and Arn have, um, it, they're Georgia titles, right? So, I mean, it must get merged into Crockett in some way. I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but um, but they merge, right, Chad? I mean, is that not right? Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to misspeak. Right. I, I do know that Georgia Championship Wrestling, uh, that was owned by the Briscoes, sold their stock right. to McMahon because right. that's when they started tagging in the uh, in the right. WWF. But but yeah, so. that version of Georgia gets bought up by Vince. But then there's basically a second version of Georgia, um, which ends up becoming either part of Crockett or it just dissolves in some way because it, it's definitely not there. By the time we're doing these matches here, right? Right, right now. Yeah. Um, okay, and he, he he also had a little bit of uh, he said the order of import. He says because uh, we were talking about the syndicated TV. Right. We and, did get this cleared up, which I was happy about. So he he says that the worldwide. The, so our, our talk. My question was, which show had more eyeballs on it? World Championship Wrestling. Uh, on TBS or Worldwide, which went out on syndication. And according to NWA fan, he says that Worldwide was the big show because syndicated TV, having shows in each specific market, so you could do localized house show promos in the telecast, was the most important at the time. So all of the big angles happened on Worldwide and Pro, uh, just as big angles happened on Superstars and Challenge. Um, To a lesser extent, they were were broadcast on the uh, U.S., a primetime wrestling, all-American uh, wrestling. He says that many people didn't have cable in the U.S. in the mid-80s, so WCW TV was not the A-show and was mainly just squash matches, while there are often decent main shows on Worldwide and Pro, um, for example, Rock and Rolls versus the Russians, um, uh, you know, happened on those shows. So he, in, according to NWA fan, the order of importance is Worldwide, uh, WCW, then NWA Pro, um, and I mean that's that's very interesting to get that take because um, it's not like I was making these, I made these claims uh, out of the blue. I, we did cross check this stuff with PWO guys, and maybe we didn't get exactly the same story there. So I think there may be a bit of give and take, but I just thought in order uh, for the purposes of balance, I'd, I'd read that out in full. Um, he's got some other comments here, but uh, I want to skip down. Uh, you can go to the main page to, to read, because uh, he made four posts in a row here. Um, 
I just want to read his last uh, one, Chad, because I think it's the most uh, provocative. He says, mm-hmm. you guys have it all wrong with Garvin. There was nothing charismatic about him as opposed to Dusty Rhodes, Magnum TA, Nikita, Ricky Morton, Hawk, Jimmy Garvin, Kerry Von Erich, Lex Luger, and the other guys that had challenged Flair up to this point. He was a great challenger, but a worthless champion. It wasn't the booking at all. When he showed up on TV with a belt, there was a quick cheer, then a WTF. Some of, some of this stuff has to be watched in complete context, not as standalone matches, or even a series of just matches to be appreciated or understood in full. So that's NWA f- his, uh, fans' take on thinks we've got it all wrong about Garvin, Chad. Any any response? <laughs> well, this is uh, I mean I mean yeah, full disclosure. I don't want to respond to say that I I've certainly have not watched a ton of the TV as uh, Garvin is champ, but I did look up on uh, history of WWE. And uh, Garvin did have a, a decent, you know, a, he did defend the, the championship. So I know I think maybe last show we were wondering whether he ever defended the NWA championship. He did defend it quite a bit in the uh, in the two months he had it. It wasn't just one title defense or anything like that. And I did try to find um, any any uh, on YouTube or Daily Motion, some of these sites, some uh, stuff of Garvin as the champion. And I wasn't able to find a ton, but uh, but I did find a match with him as uh, versus Tolly uh, as the champion, and it it goes about seven or eight minutes, and it's basically used to set up the main Starcade angle. But I mean, I mean, uh, Garvin ends up getting bloodied in the end of the match, and I didn't see. I mean, the crowd is not as hot as some of those studio matches. But I don't think the crowd was like shitting on him as the champion, just in that isolated thing, in this isolated environment. What, how, what, what the question I'd have is how many of those um, defenses that he had were shown on TV? Because I, I, the, the thing that I've always read is that Garvin didn't get much TV as champ. That he he, he, um, he, he was working dates, but he wasn't necessarily on TV very often in that sixty days. Well, he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he seemed to be on TV pretty much the whole way. That's the, I, I think, uh, I think that's been downplayed. I mean, now he's not having twenty minute title defenses and stuff like that. But in all due respect, I mean, Flair wasn't having a ton of those either. So right. on TV. So I mean, I think for a not a six, you're talking about a sixty day span. So you're only talking about eight TV weeks that he could have been on. And I think uh, for that amount of time, he was he was on it a decent amount. Um, I mean, well, here, I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, the, the, the thing I wonder about is, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that Chicago crowd did not buy him as a champion. But right. I, I just want, Chicago- I, I wonder how representative the Chicago crowd is or is of all of the all of the NWA fans, because it, it's very easy to extrapolate from just watching that one match that Garvin wasn't op- over as champ. But, we, I mean, that's just one crowd, and we, we've established that they weren't exactly a typical crowd that night, and they'd already been pissed off earlier that evening. So, do, do you know what I'm saying, Chad? I, I, just, I just wonder how, how much uh, of the idea that Garvin is the worst champ ever is, has kind of been built up over time based on, based on things like that. 
Yep. I'm to agree with that, but uh, so, so yeah, I mean, obviously we haven't we haven't watched the TV straight through from uh, from September to November, so I don't I don't want to sound you know completely definitive, but I mean he was here's I'm looking on a pro show he faces George South and. He has a couple of kind of showcase matches. This says television taping. It's him and Nikita versus Flair and Luger for November 3rd. Uh, so, I mean, he was in some, I guess, high-profile matches, I think. Um, and then some showcase matches. Right. I, I mean, and I do I do recognize that we're flying in the face of conventional wisdom here by... by kind of defending Gargamesh. well yeah and, and, and i think it's i mean i just think it's an uphill but well one thing that i'll say is uh as we wrap up we did have a thread um that jay's uh usa started called flair's best feuds yeah and uh i mean i mean flair's had a lot of great feuds um but uh one thing I was kind of surprised about is that, uh, I mean, you did put Garvin as your honorable mention, but I thought he might have eclipsed Savage as your number three. And that that's that's a tough one for me, right, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'd probably put Savage as probably my number four, maybe. Right. But uh, I'd probably font number four, actually. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I do think, in in most of the responses on that thread, Garvin's not been mentioned. So I and I can't. I to me, he just has three great matches with Garvin, which helps him out. Versus more, I mean, it's Sting and Dusty. I just don't. No, I can't sure see the, that at all. the yeah the the longevity is there, but I cannot see the uh, peak moments being there like there is with uh, well, Flair and Garvin. I, I mean. It- to be, to be fair, during the Dusty Feud, there are some of the best promos you'll ever see, I guess. Great um, build-up, yes. Great build-up, but, you know, the, the I never really like the Flair Dusty matches too much. They're just not kind of... Of the ones that we've seen, I, they don't really stand out for me as anything. Um, I remember Tully having better matches with Dusty than, than Flair. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I know the... Uh, Bash 86 match gets championed a good bit by some people, and that may be on my rewatch list because I, I didn't think that was a match that I didn't think was terrible, but it didn't really resonate with me. So, yeah, I mean, just just on that, the the reason I went for the Savage, um, the Savage feud above the Garvin feud mm-hmm. is is just because I mean we'll it'll be a while till we get there on these shows, but um, Flair as a character doing this Savage stuff is just like his antics he's i i don't think flair's ever is more uh, ever more kind of deliciously villainous than he is doing that feud and especially okay. the 96 version when he's um like he, he spends like months kind of tormenting savage after like <laughs> he you know he, he uh takes out angelo poffo on the night of the on the night of the hall of fame and or he does just all sorts of dick moves to savage for no apparent reason so that's um that's why I like that feud so much. Um and I don't think that um Flair Garvin has that same kind of compelling storyline. It's it's just about the matches with Flair Garvin as far as I can see. Would you agree with right. that? I mean it, there's no real story there, is there? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean I, again, I think I've not seen the uh I haven't seen the 
all the build up in TV, but I, I, I certainly won't uh, chastise anybody for liking the Savage stuff because I thought both in '92 and '96 it was really well done. So, all right. Well, do, do you want to do any more comments before we wrap up here, Chad? Should we? Uh... Um, I mean, I. Honestly, this kind of sounds like a cop-out, but I honestly think if you go to the PWO threads, it's better to read that kind of stuff there because it's mostly just uh, posters' opinions right? Yeah. Um, or, or feedback. So, uh, one, thing we, one thing I think we, we should do, uh, Chad, which will be fun, is um, when I put this show up, I'll put up the, um, a, a ballot for, uh, for the awards that we give out so that people can, um, people can have a go of, you know, choosing their own as well for next time i think that's a good idea yeah yeah i'm interested to hear feedback uh for all the awards we get and i'm i'm really looking forward to doing that show uh we've talked 110 hours on it and (laughs) talk uh, a lot more on it so uh it'll be fun to kind of wrap up the 80s all right shall i look forward to it all right see you par bye fans for all of us here at wcw center stage for cowboy bill watts And the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.